and welcome. This is it. We made it, friends, Normandy FM listeners. We are here at the end of Dragon Age Inquisition, the full end of Dragon Age Inquisition. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you feeling? Tired. Very long week. Very long, distressing, upsetting week to be a Bioware it's, fan. It's been a l- That is also named it, Kenneth Shepard because everyone else is really stoked right now. I mean, yeah, it's... I, You know, not to put too much of a pin in it, but like... Yeah, you know, we here in Normandy FM are known for our Bioware takes and, and many lovely listeners and friends and family and concerned relatives and such reached out to us <laughs> after the Game Awards uh, trying to get our uh, hashtag hot takes about both of the reveals that happened. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and I'll just... We'll just say up front, we're going to talk about that at the end of this episode because... Obviously, uh, we want to get straight into Trespasser as soon as we can. You know, this is kind of the build-up and also the the ending to everything we've been doing so far with Inquisition. It'll let us set the stage very well for what we will be talking about in regards to these teasers from the Game Awards. So I think that it, it makes a little bit more sense for us to talk about Trespasser up front. Uh, and then we will talk about the Game Awards reveals at the end. But first... We've got a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. Um, we've mentioned on the podcast several times already, you know, thanks to the lovely donations from the lovely fans, listeners at home, uh, we reached our stretch goal of doing Jade Empire. Uh, we will be doing Jade Empire at the start of next year. We do have an official start date, and that will be January 20th, 2021. That will be our first uh, episode of normandy fm jade empire edition uh we're already working on a new look and all that and that new look will reflect kind of a new angle for the show moving forward so we're going to be changing some things up in the next year but don't fret too much uh you know we we just kind of want to make sure we're staying nimble we're staying flexible and that we're delivering content that y'all want to listen to and then we're also doing that in a way that's like as i mentioned last week uh this started out as a thing we didn't know how far we wanted to go because we didn't know what the interest was now we've seen that there is interest we have listeners that want to listen to us every week so we want to adapt the patreon adapt the format of the show to reflect that to be able to bring on more new voices to be able to do more things and do more things that will serve your interests better uh to wit i will say first off uh we'll be adding a new thing for the podcast in general which is a static third chair to the podcast uh starting with jade empire we're introducing the idea of us having a third person come on and kind of hang out and be the third chair to mine and kenneth's discourse for jade empire we found this was especially important because you know we don't always bring let's say the most nuanced and discerning insight into some of the things that jade empire is doing in regards to like asian american portrayals and stuff like that asian portrayals in general i should say and we're two um, white dudes so yeah yeah i mean that's the short version of this is that we are two white dudes (laughs) so with that in mind the wonderful ki hoon chan will be joining us as the third chair for jade empire very excited to have them on uh honestly they are a writer that i admire quite a bit 
I don't tell them that often enough, but I do get the joy of editing their work sometimes at US Gamer, and they are an excellent writer. Very much looking forward to having them on for Jay Empire. It's going to be great. Uh, and I think we're also planning to have guests on uh, throughout the course of Jade Empire if we can get some on, but uh, we will definitely have guests lined up for what is to come after that, because yes, we are already planning what is to come after Jade Empire. And because of that, we are adjusting kind of what the strategy is for the Patreon in general. So in January, we will be freezing the Patreon so that way we don't have people kind of jumping in and trying to contribute, get us to certain stretch goals because we're changing how all that works. Uh, so for January, we're going to put a freeze on the Patreon while we restructure it and talk about what we want to do. And then February, it'll start up again with the new structure. Uh, as far as y'all listeners at home are concerned, nothing is changing. Like we are still delivering a podcast every week and it will be about a retrospective of a game that we know y'all want to hear about that we think y'all will enjoy and that we'll be bringing great guests on for. This is just kind of a structure to the way that our monetization model works because you know, what worked in the past is not reflective of what we are now. So, uh, all that said, we also have a Q&A coming up. That'll be next week's episode, so the holiday week episode. Uh, we already had a bunch of lovely, lovely people uh, submit their questions for the Q&A, but if you want to get yours in, the cutoff date is December 21st. That day is when Ken and I will be recording the Q&A. So if you want to get those questions in, if you don't have any in yet, go to the Twitter uh, twitter.com slash normandyfmshow or send us an email normandyfm at gmail.com and you can hit us up with questions this is open to anybody this is not patreon specific if you want to ask us any question within the realms of privacy <laughs> and secrecy <laughs> go and do that uh we will at, we will answer most things if you want takes about food love life food (laughs) you know whatever you want we'll talk about it but uh we do reserve the right to like we're not going to tell you what our social security number is sorry sorry you know blake we know you were trying to get that but (laughs) um other than that ken i think that's all the housekeeping we have i think we got through all of it sounds about right excellent let's talk about trespasser let's do it (sighs) okay so Again, full disclosure, like, way back when, the first time Ken and I ever spoiler-casted about a Bioware thing together, it was the Trespasser DLC for Dragon Age Inquisition back when it came out. And now, here we are, years later, about to talk it over. As we've discussed before the show, we apparently picked the same endings we did last time. <laughs> um, which I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear how our views both have and haven't changed. But to start off with, uh, Trespasser's kind of a weird thing, Ken, because I feel like the way that these... I've always felt the way that that Bioware DLCs in general start is kind of strange because it's like you have a War Table mission and it's just kind of hanging out there. It's like, okay, cool, time to go do the Trespasser thing. And it's like, oh, by the way, this will time skip you ahead two years. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to do anything else, like once you do this, you are locked into this. You can't do anything else. But like Citadel was kind of similar in that you open an email and it's basically like, hey, if you want to do this thing, you know, just come on in. You know, there's kind of an unceremonious method of accessing these. I find that. 
it's kind of quaint, I guess, the idea that's like, oh, hey, I downloaded the DLC and there's a new war table operation. Okay. Um, I think the different, the one, like, uh, thing you got to consider with Trespass specifically in comparison to all those things, it, it is only available after you beat the game, and that is not something that is mm-hmm. usually the case with Bioware games. Um, right, right. Because, like, even, even Citadel, you can access this early as, like, midway through. Mm-hmm. Three. Wait, what about Arrival? I think Arrival uh, same, is only same. after. It, like, Wait, you uh, can do Arrival before you do the, the suicide mission? Yeah, and it, like, changes to reflect the fact that you have done the suicide mission by the time that you get to the, like, if you do it at the end, where, like, you'll talk to Harbinger the Reaper instead of the uh, Collector General, uh, because that twist has not happened yet. Um, oh, interesting. So that is, like, the one distinguishing factor of Trespasser in that regard. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so Trespasser. This takes place two years after Corypheus has died. Um, the intro we're kind of given is that throughout this time, the Inquisition has just kind of operated within its own bounds. Uh, it's lar- largely been devoted to both, you know, killing off any remaining, you know, demonic threats and other lingering parts of Corypheus's influence, while also uh, kind of acting as a rebuilding force. Uh, there's some early dialogues in this DLC that indicate that the Inquisition has been sort of helping people rebuild in various areas and stuff like that. Um, but essentially, the Inquisition has grown too large for the major forces of the world to ignore it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is kind of an independent organization. It is essentially an independent organization separate from the Chantry, uh, even though it is technically part of the Chantry. It's, you know, it's it has a castle, it has a standing army, it has all these different things that you had to create to defeat Corypheus, and now two years later, you know, Corypheus is gone, so, you know, why do you still need a standing army? And obviously, like, the army has made Ferelden kind of nervous, they don't like the idea of having an army so close to their border, especially when uh, they have kind of a history with the Grey Wardens, in terms of the Grey Wardens, you know, would had kind of a tussle with <laughs> with Ferelden, yeah. let's say. Um, meanwhile, the Orlesians, uh, they love you because they mm. basically see the Inquisition as a potential second arm of the, you know, of Orlais, of the Chantry, of all their political machinations. They're like, cool, another force that we can use and manipulate and bend to our will in that way. So, you know, one sees you as... A sword that needs to be broken and the other sees you as a sword that could be wielded and in both cases the sword's not having a good time <laughs> so uh the exalted council is called by divine victoria to decide the fate of the inquisition and that's where this all starts so i just to start off ken like this is a really cool i think way to taper off of inquisition and lead into whatever is next because I think so often in these games we get you know the building up of the crew the building up of forces but to actually address the question of what comes after you know we have amassed all these forces and all this power and created this banner for it all to fly under and the second that power vacuum is created by defeating the great evil there's suddenly a lot of questions left about who gets what and who goes where and all that. I mm-hmm. think the idea of creating this as an answer to all that is really interesting. Yeah. And I think it was important that they had it as well, just because, like, whatever they were going to do with Dragon Age 4, that, like, 
the Inquisition as a force needs to be acknowledged in a way that they can't, like, simply just be this force that exists out in the other, like, on the other side of Thetis that doesn't mm-hmm. have an influence on what's happening. So, like, they have to actually acknowledge, like, what is the state of that uh, organization more so than just uh, the people in it. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's reflected. There, There is kind of this goofy thing that I noticed. Um, so in my playthrough, Cassandra is divine. So Leliana is still with the Inquisition. However, in a number of cutscenes, there were, there were situations where either Leliana was not present, like uh, when you're riding in with Josephine and Cullen, but conspicuously not Leliana, um, or later on at the very end of the DLC where everyone present is wearing their kind of Inquisition garbs and not, you know, maybe the Divine's garbs uh, that indicated that maybe they were, in certain cases, just kind of hedging their bets on who the player ended up with as the Divine, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which I thought was very funny. But <laughs> uh, having having that said, like, we we enter into the exalted council and the first thing that happens is we talk to mother giselle and we're we're hanging out with good old mother giselle who i totally remember so many things about because she was such a major character in dragon age inquisition it's a thrill to see mother giselle again <laughs> i mean she was more like in my field of view because she was harassing dorian all the time so that's what i was gonna say <laughs> Yeah, I mean the one thing she, I remember her for is harassing Dorian. <laughs> yeah, and like she does have the moment where she's like, "I think I owe him an apology," and I was like, "Well, two years late is better than never." Yeah. Oh, now, now you think you owe him an apology? Yeah. Man, took you a while, mother. <laughs> um, and she, yeah, uh, I, I was just like, I wanted to get through that conversation so fast because I was just like rolling my eyes at some of that. Um. I was like, oh boy, we're back into the Chantry nonsense again. Uh, but uh, once we get out of that dreadful well, conversation... Before, before we... Like, even before we talk to her, we do need to talk about the uh, the mark on our hand is just acting up. Just oh, like, at yeah. Random See, I, I remember that happening later for the first time, but yeah. I, I think it happens right before, before, we, yeah, right before yeah, we talk to yeah. Giselle. So. Um, yeah, like, so pin in that. that. Our, our anchor. Anchor's acting up a little bit getting a little weird getting a little funky um but then we're kind of let loose into the world and we're free to go talk to all the various companions that we have met throughout the course of dragon age inquisition uh, as well as our advisors um i found that some of these can were a bit meatier than others yeah for um, sure because so like the first one i did was varic and i feel like that's a good baseline because his was just a lot of hey remember this thing from dragon age 2 here's an update on that dragon mm-hmm. age 2 kirkwall stuff still happening and like he had he had what were some of my favorite lines where he basically just gives you yeah. the key to the city and he has this great line where he's like just remember no matter what happens with the inquisition you have a home in kirkwall and control of the harbor i guess <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and i was like oh man i love varic so much him being made viscount is just so good and yeah. i i love that storyline so much yeah, I, it's, it's it's almost citadel light the, yeah. the whole dlc is like cause i don't think every scene is as impactful as like the best stuff in citadel but it's like they're clearly going for that it's, it's like there's like a weird 
is it is it a contradiction or is it just the way the Bioware writes Dragon Age, where like it feels very much like they are trying to like wrap up these characters in a way that uh, feels as loving as it can in the course of like some of these characters they've only known for one game. Um, so like if I don't know if it's just, like the material is not quite as elevated as Citadel or like just the attachments not, um, because like Varric was Varric was great and there are like several other scenes in here that are really great, but some of them are just kind of. Little toss away, and like comparatively speaking, yeah. So like, I don't know if we necessarily need to go through every single one of them. Um, the ones I wanted to highlight for sure were um, obviously Josephine's was just kind of entertaining. Um, that was a cool little thing of going to see an opera and the kind of it, it had one of those gags that was very like Citadel esque where you're about to be like what could go wrong and then it smash cuts to all this weird stuff happening and it, yeah. it reminded me very much of grunts and in, in citadel um but uh the ones that stuck out to me the most were cole uh because at least in my i, I think both our playthroughs because we both went for the human option for cole mm-hmm. um he's traveling with the bard from uh the the tavern that's in skyhold mm-hmm. and they're kind of together and it's you can kind of ask and be like, are you, you know, like manipulating her mind at all? But they're just kind of together because she likes to make people happy with song and he wants to make people happy and they just make a good team together and have kind of found mm-hmm. each other through that way. It's kind of implied that he's helping her deal with some things too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was all very interesting and a good bit of development for Cole. Um, yeah. Also, it's development that he did on his own that was not yeah. in any way pushed forward by us, which is great. Right. <laughs> yeah, and actually getting to do human things instead of being told that he is going to start doing human things because like even in the actual base game you make that decision and then he's kind mm-hmm. of like okay that's what my life is going to be moving forward after all this mm-hmm. so it's good to actually see like something tangible something like you can actually point to and be like hey mm-hmm. he is creating a life for himself mm-hmm. there was um I thought Vivienne's scene was very good where you're in the spa yeah. and you're just kind yeah. of talking and, and there's a very good just kind of back and forth where you can kind of poke and prod at her about whether she's poking and prodding at you and i just i yeah. i've always liked that scene i thought that was a very good scene yeah um, and it's even got some uh some of or at least it would have been mine i guess it might have been different on yours but like she had some lines about like somebody's got to do something about the way the, the chaos of the mages right now because like in my playthrough liliana has disbanded the circle so she's like somebody has to kind of be a voice of reason in the midst of all this chaos and i was like yeah you you do that vivian like you just, oh yeah, in mine, because Cassandra was divine, she was made uh, first enchanter. Um, so she was just kind of like, oh, you know, it's the, the stress of keeping the mages together. And obviously, like, once we get to the epilogue, we can talk about how well that goes over. But <laughs> um, I thought that was a good scene. I think the standout for me was Dorian. I, I know mm-hmm. it probably was for you, but I think even for me in a friendship capacity, uh, yep. his his bit was very interesting where he's, you know, he gives you a crystal that's like, you know, we'll be able to talk through this. And, um, you know, he's in my, in my, uh, playthrough, he was like, you're the best and maybe only friend I've ever had. You didn't think I was going to leave you that easily. Did I like that's, Oh, Dorian's so good. Dorian's so good. (laughs) So for me that like, there's like almost like basically a companion, conversation that leads into this whole scene that makes, makes me feel a certain type of way because if you go talk to Cassandra, I don't know if it's different if she's divine or not, but if if you just talk to her... Oh, no, Cassandra has this for me too, yeah. Okay, yeah, where she's like, 
she has been basically led to believe that a proposal is going to happen, and she thinks that it's the mm-hmm. equivalent of propose to their love interest. And so she, then she like makes a line. Or she, she has a line like, uh, "Dorian being from Tevinter will raise people's eyebrows, but you know that's it's your life." And so like you know it, because you obviously don't know that she was going to be talking about this before, like you can react like you thought I was going to propose, and then she like. Varric might have just said the word proposal and I ran with it. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. but then I had the option to be like, I mean, I might, like, this is not something that I, that's something that I've been thinking about and that's something that I would like to do. Um, yeah, so like, I went that route, mm-hmm. but I went that route, but I couldn't, I didn't know how to, and I think when I played this originally, my, my Inquisitor married Cassandra or did something like that. Or uh, I mean, I, similar, I but... think the only people you can actually marry in here are Sarah and Cullen. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, um, I was going to say, like, she suggested that with Josephine. I remember having that conversation with Cassandra about it, too, uh, in my original playthrough. And, like, I was just wondering if I'd missed, like, a quest trigger that no, would have no. triggered that scene. Okay, so it can only be with Sarah or Colin? That's yeah, like, I don't really know. I mean, Colin's like, specific. Colin is, like, you know, some fucking the dude that was, like, going to be very uh, family values bullshit. So maybe that's, like, it fits with him. Sarah was the one that was kind of weird just because, like, I don't know, she seems so against, like, ceremony. Getting married in the Chantry. <laughs> yeah. So that was, yeah. you know, a weird thing. But anyway, like, having that conversation with Cassandra and then going to talk to Dorian, like, I kind of, like, had a certain lens on the conversations that were happening because the first yeah. thing, we've, we found out he's, been, he's become, like, a um, an, an ambassador for Taventer for this whole thing, and he's like, that's why he's here, uh, even though he's mm-hmm. definitely still, like, associated with the Inquisition. Um so, like, he's talking to, the, to people from RLA and, like, having, you know, like, doing uh, diplomacy. And um, when he walks up to me, I'm, like, he starts to, like, uh, you know, joke with, like, all the pops and circumstances. And I'm, like, you spoke to me before kissing me. That's not how this works. I need you to rectify that now. Um, and then he's, like, I'll, I'll talk to you later because I, I, you've got stuff to do and i got people to talk to. So then when we finally go and talk to him and Varric is there, like, raising a toast to Dorian and, and like, saying, uh... The uh, the Imperium uh, the Deventer Imperium doesn't even want you and it will probably kill you but we're gonna miss you and like Dorian's like panicked like trying to shush him and mm-hmm. I'm like what's going on and then Varys like oh you didn't know so I'm gonna walk away from this mess that I've just created mm-hmm. so like to have that conversation where Dorian's like uh my dad is dead and I like I believe he's been assassinated and I got a letter that was like letting me know that I am taking his place in the Magisterium. Um, so I'm going, even though I said I wouldn't, like, and you had the option if you, if you told him, or you asked him to stay, uh, to be like, but you said you were gonna fucking stay, like, what was the whole point of all of this if you were gonna end up leaving in the, in the end anyway? And, like, that in itself is sad, but, like, when you, when Cassandra has put this, like, seed in my brain of, like, marriage and, like, proposing, I'm like, like, I might as well have been, like, walking up with a ring, and then, like, he's like, actually, I'm going to, like, move away. And I'm like, oh, okay, that is not fun. Um... But then, like, so, it is one of the moments where it, I mean, Trespasser is something, and we will get, as the DLC goes on, we'll talk about how the DLC is kind of at odds with itself, because it is making all these, like, kind of very declarative statements about where these people are going to go, and that people are going to have to leave. Um, and for Dorian, that is, like, there's an implication that he's going to go to Dementor, he's going to finally be this, like, very, this revolutionary that he's always kind of, like, talked about being, um... And he, there have been hints since then in, like, comics and books that that is actually what he's doing, and that is 
why the next game maybe be an inventor means that he will probably be back. But I had other conversations where I was like, uh, I could go with you, and then he's like, no, I need to, to do this by myself. This isn't something I can have you like sweeping in and like you know beating to venture into submission. Um, mm. So the conversation kind of in, like and ultimately like, I was so like defeated by that moment. I just picked the option where instead of like wishing him well or like getting mad about it, I just said, I guess there's nothing left to say because you've clearly made up your mind. Um, and that's when he gave me the sending crystal where he's like. If for, if we're ever apart and you 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 feel sad for not hearing my voice, then we have this for now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he did, then he does the moment like where he kind of laughs. He's like, "You didn't think this, that I was just gonna walk off and you'd never see from, see me again, did you? Because you are the man that I love. You are the person who means more to me than anybody else in this world. So like, even if I have to go be this uh, figure for change for Deventer." We're still there's there's always going to be an us like this is not the end for us, um. So that carries like a very specific tone, in the moment. By the end of the DLC, it feels very different, and we will get to that later. Yeah, I was gonna say like just straight up like the way that Dorian is framed as this character that over the course of the game like I think surprisingly compared to other characters you know I think you would expect that some of the first characters you meet like. Cassandra and Varric and Solus would obviously become very close to the Inquisitor over the course of the game, much like, you know, your first squad mates do in Mass Effect. But Dorian is someone that you can potentially meet as, like, the last character. I mean, he's the last character that joined my party. Mm. And still, comparatively, he ends up being, I think, just naturally one of the closest characters to the Inquisitor. Mm. Um, you know, whether you intend to or not, like, he does end up just kind of on that uh, level with you. Mm-hmm. and it it feels really weird to have that like you know they're setting up so much that this is like such a strong tie between the two of them that has grown and, and been forged and he's headed off to Tevinter and then a knife gets stabbed into the word Tevinter at the end of this DLC mm-hmm. and yeah what, oh, what a I just, we're, we're building up to that we're building up to that we're building up to that oh <laughs> Okay. Remember how I used to be like, oh, I don't know, Ken, let's just be even-headed about that. No, I think I'm starting to go gloves off on this shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so the only the only other one I wanted to shout out, um, you know, Colin has some stuff. It's it's there. I think it's kind of cute with the Mbari, but it's mm. voiced by a dude, so I don't really care. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh, I liked Iron Bull stuff also because Iron Bull on this DLC can be two drastically different characters. Right. And mm-hmm. I think like this, the vast schism between those two, like the, the difference between who Bull can be because of the choice he made in Inquisition and his companion quest or not, I think is really interesting because he can ultimately mm-hmm. be like a very sad character in this DLC. Yeah. Um, like if it's, it's- Scene like the scene that is here, like involving the Chargers in the way it does, like the way that mm-hmm. sort of dynamic plays out. Oh, it's so good! Well, I like love it. like They're a like... dad with like twelve kids that he has to like wrangle in all the time. Yes. Um, oh my god! Really, it's like so good. I I mean I've never seen the, what the ultimate version of this scene looks like, but it really kind of underlines how how and why he would be so different in the like not even just like from like a logistics standpoint, like he literally doesn't have ties to the Canary anymore, but like not having that sort of like group of kids that he has to wrangle to ground him uh yeah i mean so the thing that 
the maybe one of the larger things I took away from this DLC is how it's kind of starting to frame the Canari moving forward into DA4, where I think they're going to play a much larger role than they had previously. I know that's weird saying that because DA2 had right. very large Canari plot lines, but... Well, that was like a subsection, th- like a little faction of them, as opposed to like the actual culture at large. So. Yeah, we're like we're starting to deal with what the actual, you know, we're dealing with actual major players in Canari culture and not just, you know, like a shipwrecked captain. Right. Um, and so... In that regard, um, and obviously, like the stance they're going to have with Tevinter going into DA4 is interesting too. To look at, um, I'm kind of multiple ways about it, but I, I might wait a bit to to levy that that take in. But I think very early on, it sets up this idea that like, if if Iron Bull stays with 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 the Kune over his chargers, he stays true to his people but ends up very sad and Mm. alone and kind of forced into a life that it it feels weird seeing the other side because you can see how happy he is if you choose the other option and he doesn't seem to regret leaving he like he doesn't seem to regret becoming talvashoth either which is i think interesting Mm. um but we'll 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 touch on that when we get further into the canary stuff here um after we've talked to everybody and we talked to the Orlesian and Ferelden ambassadors to kind of get what their kind of main stances are. And, you know, they, they basically tell us what I already mentioned earlier is that like one wants you to basically disband Ferelden wants you to disband. Um, or wants to keep you around, but like put a guiding hand on you, uh, in a way where they could start to use you for their own machinations. Um, we start the exalted console um and the way it's the way it's framed very early on i think something interesting that it does is uh at least for me so the ferelden ambassador like throws care bronak at me and says like hey you you went into crestwood and you took over a fort you took over care bronak and you're your troops still haven't left the area like you still yeah. occupy that fort how are we supposed to see that as yeah. anything but a military invasion like yeah um, I the, the weird thing though i because i did um i did the mage side in the, in the base mm-hmm. game where you go through red cliff and you like save them uh right. he was a little bit nicer to me at at certain points but he still like had all these like very like bolded points of all the other things that we had done but when i talked to him um at the winter palace like before we actually started the council um he was very agreeable at the moment, um, so I don't know if that would have been the same. Oh, he I guess, was I mean, very been... aggressive with me. He was he was yeah. pretty pissed at me. <laughs> yeah, <I figured> much. <laughs> he he was nonplussed, let's say. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so they they very early established that like this is the way it's going to go, and um, they even talk. It like it starts out initially. They they begin bringing up the idea of. Um, of a de-escalation of your forces, like basically downsizing the military presence of the Inquisition and trying to make it smaller, uh, basically more manageable to deal with. And, you know, this is, as Josephine notes, this is all like very early posturing and Mm. kind of establishing what the arguments for each side are going to be. Only it gets interrupted pretty fast by one of our attendants, one of our spies coming up and telling us that Liliana needs to see us because there is a Kunari corpse in, uh, in just a random house. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, 
that, that's a problem. Because, you know, any any dead body found in a suspicious place, probably not great, you know. It's probably something that bears looking into. But a Kanari warrior, as Leliana notes, like, they're in full warrior garb, like, ready to go to war. Uh, versus, like, being a spy or a scout or something. Uh, it's a little, uh, little troubling. So... Mm. We get to do some investigation, and we soon find that there's an alluvian in the Winter Palace, and we got to go into that alluvian, Ken. And mm-hmm. this is where my game crashed. What? Um... <laughs> Dude, my game crashed so many times when I was going through alluvians <laughs> on the PC, and I, f- from what I could tell, it was because. At first, I had it set to... Um, I'd been playing most of this game with a command line prompt that they actually suggest people use if they want to do this, but to set your cutscenes to 60 FPS instead of 30 FPS, you have to put in like a launch command line prompt on PC. Mm-hmm. And that specific prompt seems to create an endless loading screen whenever you go through this specific Alluvian. Um and so I changed it. I changed the setting to 30, which they said would fix it. And it did fix it the first time. But then I had to change it back to 60 to fix it a second time. And then mm. by the end of it, I just like disabled it completely. And that seemed to mostly work. But there was still a moment where I had to like kind of all tab and tab back in to get it past the loading screen and stuff. But mm. uh, yeah, PC build of Inquisition. Maybe it's still a little, a little messy. A little messy. Um, mm. Just putting that out there. <laughs> uh but we get to this is the part where we get to roll out and actually play some Dragon Age, you know, some, play some Dragon Ass Dragon Age, and uh, Ken, mm-hmm. first you know first outing back on the job. No Solus, Solus is gone. Mm-hmm. Who were you rolling with? Uh, Dorian, Varric, and Cassandra. Those were my mm-hmm. team in this game. So, and so you did not have Divine Cassandra. No. I had Divine Cassandra, which meant she had all brand spanking new divine armor let me tell you cassandra was looking good that's some good armor man you should look that up sometime she gets some sick looking armor that's got some good stats on it too it's i think it's just called divine like it's she gets like a headpiece and like this golden knight's armor that looks real sick and i was like damn cassandra i gotta become divine that's that's why i mean (laughs) This whole DLC, so I was level 18 going into this DLC. I was level 18, my party was level 17. Oh, word. That's um, a, okay. The, uh, the, uh, the first few fights were a little tough for me, Ken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was like, oh, you know what? I, you know, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to use a party I don't normally use. I'm going to bring in Cassandra. I'm going to bring in Dorian. Uh, and you know we've been over how my Dorian strat wor- works, which mm. is uh, he dies and then uh, come, like keeps coming back as a ghost and all that. Uh, and then I'll, I'm gonna bring in Varric. You know, maybe Varric's got some interesting lines. He did. He had some interesting lines. Mm. Um, I struggled to kill anything with that team. Uh, mm. It was just an uphill battle on every level 19 and level 20 enemy I ran into. Mm. Uh, and and pretty quickly I found that. That was A, because I would not given Varric all of the Bianca upgrades that I acquired throughout the game. But also, uh, you start picking up gear in this DLC that is very good gear. 
like some real end game ass weapons i mean there's one there's a section in this dlc where you can get this shield called the best defense which is literally like the best shield in the game and it's ridiculously powerful um which sounds weird to say for a shield but is just that darn good Mm. uh but yeah i've (laughs) I found like the difficult. I, I felt the difficulty took a major tick up in this DLC. Yep. I don't know how you felt about it. I did in the beginning because, like you said, the, and granted, for the places that we have done for the show, there has been we've been fairly critical path on it. So there has been yeah, a I've, fair I, bit of, yeah. I never went to Empress Dulion in this playthrough. Yeah, and so we we weren't under level per se, but like we were not on like the higher uh, like the higher side of levels. Uh, right. So in the beginning of the DLC, yes, I was having trouble. But you also level up very fast in the DLC. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I guess they like that. They, they give you like more. Like, I, I, enemies probably just give you more experience along the way. Um, because I think they're probably just trying to get you like because it, this does lock off the rest of the game. So they're just like, okay, we're gonna like escalate mm-hmm. um, throughout. Um, I think that's end, one of the I, smarter mm. things this game, or I was just going to say that's one of the smarter things I think this DLC does is that it kind of recognizes that this is like endgame, endgame, you're not playing mm-hmm. anything else after this part, so why not just give you a bunch of toys to play with and yeah. fuck around with, because we're not going to have to worry about how you might use it in the rest of this giant game, you, you right. will only be able to use it here. Yeah, and like that goes to like the abilities as well, which we start getting around with the point too, because we start, we get the first... Um, uh, it's like a it's like a lantern sort of thing like it lights up the room um and then it gradually becomes explosive as the dlc goes on yeah so these are like anchor abilities that basically um add to the anchor that you have so as we're going through the alluvian and we're kind of trying to figure out how a canary how a wounded canary got through an alluvian and into the winter palace uh and discover kind of what's going on here we work our way through these elven ruins and we're finding all these different mosaics um, that are kind of telling us the story of Fen Harel. And I think the first interesting part of this is that the story we're getting of Fen Harel, especially because my Inquisitor is Dalish, and so she was making like comments about how this is different from what she was taught mm-hmm. when she was a child. Yeah. Um, but uh we we discovered that this valley that we're in is what was a refuge for slaves that were s- saved by Fenharel. uh the important proper noun for us to get accustomed to is the Evanuris, which mm-hmm. is kind of the old gods as we understand them uh and the first mosaic that we find or, or sorry the other mosaics we find after the initial one uh, indicate that Fenhrel is not a god; is a mortal that kind of started to be praised as a god. And the same goes for the Evanuris, that the Evanuris mm. are also not inherently godlike. They were not born as gods; they were just powerful um, elven mages. Yes, and this is where we find our first kind of elven device that empowers our anchor somewhat, which gives us anchor discharge, which can light the room and also makes our party slightly invulnerable. Uh, or it makes us invincible for a short period of time, which is there are parts of this DLC where there are like purple flames where it's pretty much impossible to get past unless you have a really strong barrier up or you have like this shield on. Um, This is also where, you know, we would have discovered this if we had done the soulless romance in the game, but this is where all inquisitors discover that 
the Volusleen, which is the the tattoos that the elves have. Uh, the Dreadwolf was removing them because they were basically like slave uh, markings for the different mm. Evanurus. Uh, right. So they, at this point, we have learned that as the mosaics represent it, these were not gods. The Evanurus were not gods. They were extremely powerful mortals that gradually enslaved people and then gave them tattoos and markings as part of the worship that they received as being who they were. And Fen Harrell was kind of the rebel of the group who wanted to enlighten people. It was like the Prometheus of the group. Um, so we, we work our way through all this. I mean, Ken, let me just say like upfront, we're not going to talk a lot about some of these sections because it's a lot of just kind of moving through mirrors and hitting mechanisms and then mm. doing battles and stuff. And so we're probably going to focus more on the narrative, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> because because like the, there, there's a whole section where you're just kind of running around and being like, yeah, I'm fighting different Canari and now I'm fighting spirit champions and we're looking for what's going on here and something's up. Better keep following these Canari and stuff. Um, and there's there's a lot of little stuff like there is uh, we could be picking up at this point I, I ended up missing one of these so I didn't get the the achievement but we can be picking up special codexes uh, mm-hmm. to unlock a special dialogue option at the very end of this DLC uh, but yeah. I missed one of them so I did not get it I felt really bad about that um, stupid deep roads <laughs> but it's, uh, and there's also like hollow that we can pick up by the way I forgot to mention but when you find the corpse the first time you can make a comment to Liliana about how this always happens when you're at the winter palace and uh, the, the inquisitor says something about like a couple of hollow statues and some caprice coins. It'll be just like old times, right? (laughs) Which I think this at multiple points, this DLC has a very, like it knows what it is. It's it knows what it's doing. It like kind of references some stuff that's very, well known in the fandom uh like you can find a honeycomb of the fade that i think powers up your jar of bees and stuff like that um there's there's some good stuff in this Mm. um but we keep pursuing the canary uh and we eventually find out that they've been using the alluvians to stage some sort of infiltration of the winter palace that they've been using the alluvians for some time uh we know that our next mirror uh, will take us into the deep roads. So we kind of gather ourselves. We talk to the inquisitors who, by the way, like, I think one of the more interesting, like undercurrents. Uh, sorry, what? Talk to the advisors. Advisors. Yeah. Did I say inquisitors? My bad. Yeah. There's one of those. <laughs> to the to the multiple of us that we've created through the <laughs> multiverse. Welcome to the inquisitor verse. <laughs> uh <laughs> The advisors, I think, are one of the more interesting things because, um, especially with mm. me, since I was romancing Josie, um, she's kind of getting more and more tense as this goes on yep. because, like, yes, we are pursuing something that is dangerous and could be causing problems out in the real world. Like, it, it is the real threat, quote unquote. But we are also, like, trying to fight for the Inquisition's life at the same time. And right. I think there's a really interesting tension there um, yeah. that you're kind of, like, propping this all up on Josie to keep discussions right. going yeah and it, there's it's when you say the escalation of like the infighting i think it maybe is one of like one of like throughout the dlc it's giving sort of like mm-hmm. 
reasons why you might make one decision or the other, and I feel like that was yes. one of yeah. the prominent ones was like watching. I I don't really know if like the solution is to like maybe like uh, dissolve the Inquisition when you see that in fighting, but like maybe like just the team that you thought you had is mm-hmm. kind of coming apart at the seams at some places. Um, yes. Whether it's things yeah. like Dorian's leaving or uh, the advisors are not getting along like they used to, and they aren't all like uh, unified in what they want. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, um, I mean Leliana, for me because Leliana was not divine. Uh, she has a talk with you, and she actually straight up tells you uh, she's not divine. She's like, "Hey, you should dissolve the Inquisition." And I was like, "Oh." really why do you feel that way and she was like look we are getting way too large for our own good too many people can see what we're doing all the time and she's basically like i want to start training the next generation because she sees that something is still on the horizon like she's got Mm -hmm. a gut feeling and she wants to be ready for what's next and she's afraid that she can't do that without um you know while while they're still such a major organization they need to be able to right. they need to be smaller they need to be more flexible lighter more more trusting of each other um as we will soon learn but um we decided that we're gonna let josie keep handling the talks and we'll head into the next alluvian that the canary we're heading into which is the deep roads we're back in the deep roads um and as we work our way through here using our anchor discharge to light the way as needed uh, we find Jaren, a Templar from Kirkwall, who had converted to the Kune, uh, who's now regretting his decision because, as he reveals, the the Canari that are attacking are led by Vitasala, who is kind of like a um, a spy master of the Canari. I'd say um, mm. she definitely gave me some Leliana vibes a little bit, like the way she's got like Ben Hasroth agents at her command and stuff mm-hmm. like that. She definitely seems like she's into the info game as much as she is into like the the war game um but part of her plan is uh she's been mining for lyrium in the deep roads to strengthen her sarabas uh the canary mages that they keep enslaved uh as part of a plan called dragon's breath and as we learn you know because we we've known in the past that from Orzammar and stuff like that that only dwarves have been able to mine lyrium because they're the only ones who can do it without dying and the the canari funny enough are doing it using gatlock so they're basically just blowing shit up with dynamite and then mm-hmm. grabbing all the lyrium that comes out <laughs> which is when they said that i was like oh man of course like of course no one in Thetis, because I mean, dwarves have kind of had the monopoly on on gunpowder and stuff up to this point, and we had the whole mission in Dragon Age Two of Black Powder Promise and them trying to get the Gatlock because it was like the legit gunpowder and not just like the fake lyrium explosives mm. that the dwarves use, but like legit just gunpowder. Um, so it was interesting to see that make a reappearance. Um. Did you? I, I'm curious. Did you kill Jaren, or did you let him try to go? Uh, yeah, I let him go. I was okay, there was yeah, nothing would, to be gained from killing him. Yeah, yeah, I let him go too. Um, I mean, he'll still die. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but we don't have to be the ones to kill him. So, uh, 
we go further and further into the mine to pick up some primers for the Gatlock and basically decide to ignite the whole darn thing and destroy their, the Canaries' supply of lyrium. Um, we, we do all that. We get through this really cool segment where we blow up the Gatlock and we actually fight a Cerebos, which I guess we should talk about a little bit. I think the more interesting fight is the end of DLC one, but yeah, the Cerebos fights are pretty cool. I think that was a cool yeah. new enemy for them to include and they've got some cool moves. I mean, there are other new enemies in this DLC as well, like the shock troopers and stuff, but mm. um, the Cerebos in particular, the way that they fight was just really interesting to me. Yeah, I think they do a good job in Trespasser. And I mean, they did it in the other DLCs as well, but we just didn't cover those. But Inquisition DLCs do a really good job of like making enemy encounters that are distinctly different from the base mm-hmm. game. Um, and Trespasser is like, I think especially good because you're dealing with the, like forces you didn't have to fight in most of that game. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we go through this whole section where we just ignite a bunch of Gatlock and blow up the mining operation and run out of a slowly flooding deep roads. Um, once we get out of there, oh, there's more stuff happening back on the other side of the mirror because one of our Inquisition soldiers got into a, a little scuffle with an Orlesian servant. Uh, and we have to choose whether to side with the guard or the servant and you can also astute inquisitors will note that the thing the the quote-unquote barrels of wine that the servant was delivering sure do look like gatlock barrels (laughs) uh and i thought it was funny that you even have that option that's like hey uh what's in those barrels over there uh what you got there um so i chose to detain the servant um what did you choose um i chose to um like i i basically sided with the servant and i was like i'm not gonna like i'm gonna take responsibility for my person like my uh, oh mm. my because i was just like i i need to contain the situation in a way that i can so like i need you to come with me and not be like a distraction that we have to worry about in the midst of all of this right now. Not like escalate. See, I was like, yeah. this servant's delivering Gatlock. We got to get some info out of him. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, well, Ken, you, you do find out. <laughs> I regret. I regret to inform you that I might have become a cop in this DLC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do still figure out stuff from that. Is that the Gatlock came from Inquisition uh, shipments? Yes. Yeah. Um, it came from Inquisition shipments, but it was being delivered by that servant. Um, right. Yeah. A little bit of a, a question there. Question mark. We'll get to. Um, we also receive a note that was found. Uh, the note says that Vitasala can be found through a mirror near a bookcase. Uh, so we've got to head on back to the mirror ken this is the part where i was like why do i just why do i have to keep running back and forth to the damn mirror <laughs> i don't know why it was just like i i was just well, I mean, at this point i was to, going like i mean you get those opportunities when you're back at lunar palace to talk to people still like I mean, they don't have like full-blown conversations but they're like you know, yeah they, they do have like little little quips and stuff but nothing like really substantial i think in one of them i used the the opportunity to like refill my potions and stuff so i could mm-hmm. like put some regen potions and some jar, like um yeah. bee jars and stuff in but other than that i was just kind of like okay well neat i guess i gotta run out to the mirror and run back to the mirror and then run back through this portion that i ran through before so i can go to this other area and 
fun. Um, <laughs> uh, this time we find ourselves in the Shattered Library, which is a former library uh, that seems to hold a lot of ancient elven knowledge. And we find what is a very, very distraught spirit of the archivist mm-hmm. that basically tells us that the Canari have been coming here to learn about the veil. The librarians have been woken by an unknown force. Vitasala has been around here. This is where we also find the, the merchant, which is just a skeleton that sells us the best defense, uh, which is pretty fun. But um, we hit a point where we have to get to an inverted island and we have to hit some dragon eggs to to get there and boy can do we go through a lot of sections here Mm. of just fighting things and hitting mechanisms and i thought i was back in dragon age origins all over again (laughs) i was like it's like ah how i missed you origins (laughs) and by that time did not time to press three different mechanisms to proceed forward (laughs) 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 um i don't know it wasn't it wasn't that painful um i was just kind of like oh this is this this whole section was just could have been a little bit more interesting i guess or like Mm. found some way to make it more interesting there is some lore that you can kind of get to if you talk to some of the archivists and you look at some of the murals that are around and you can be talking to your party members throughout all this too although they usually just have either comments about how like oh we got the band back together neat you know what have you been up to um at one point vivian and dorian do comment on my anchor and are like hey you know if you want us to look at that we yeah, can take that, a look at that this is about the point where that starts happening because it's starting to flare up more often um mm-hmm. and so like uh they like dorian and cassandra were like you know we could there's probably somebody at the winter palace that can help and uh don't know who that would be because the smartest the smartest mages are all in the room right now and none of them know what's going on so yeah um but after after we fight some librarians and touch a bunch of dragon eggs, we finally meet Vitasala, uh, who just straight up tells us her plan. She's like, "Yep, I was gonna blow up the leaders of all of the South of all of Thetis and convert the rest to the Kune." She's basically like, "We've let you mess around and do dumb stuff enough, and you open up a freaking scar in the sky that summoned demons." So. It's time for the Canari to institute some order. Mm. Um, she also mentioned that an agent yeah, of Fenharel yeah. is disrupting their plans. Yeah, she basically like accuses you of conspiring with Fenharel and stuff, and she's like, "You've yeah. got you're working with an agent and stuff like that." Um, which is and, interesting in one respect, which is like the idea that a god is is walking among us because we already had Mithal in the base yeah. game, and now supposedly Fenharel is taking action. So, um, but this is kind of the part where I was like, they're kind of making enemies of the Canari in a way that I wasn't wild about because it's this idea that they are this like, oh, we're going to come in and institute the the Kune, and it would have been the way of the way of comfort the way of grace for all of you because we would have just blown up some of you and then the rest of you could have been happy under the cune but now we're going to have to kill a bunch more of you because you foiled our pl- you're trying to foil our plan and stuff so i mean that was sort of the same thing that they were shocked into it's just like they believe they are so they believe so strongly in what they believe that they're like 
we have to take out the leadership and then f- make everyone else be under our like f- like form under our rule in a way and so like in that way it felt consistent to me like i don't know like it did i just i i keep thinking back to when we were talking about iron bull and just this idea of like the canary always being perceived as villains and always kind of being played as these like you know aggressive invader forces and stuff and like disrupting governments and and instituting their own like it feels i i'm I'm hopeful that once we get to da4 and hopefully we get to see some aspect of the canary that's not just um you know some sort of invader force but like you know like what we had with iron bull which was this character who acknowledges the goods and the bads of the cune and even is willing to think about his place within it as it compares to other people like I want to see the Canari be a more multifaceted race. And mm-hmm. um, Vitasol is a cool character. Like, she's got a cool design. And I think her, like, status is cool. I think she's very imposing. And and she ends up being an interesting force to kind of play against throughout this DLC. But uh, I just want to see some more. I- I'm hopeful that there is more because of the teasers that we've seen that are hinting that there might be a kunari lady in our party in dragon age form hopeful mm-hmm. that that means we'll get some more insight into this into this race that we haven't had so far but yeah i don't know it's a frustration for me mm-hmm. <laughs> um so she vitasala takes off we have to kill some more kunari that she does the classic thing of like kill them while i leave <laughs> and mm. um she takes off for the darvarad and uh we need the the keystone and the special words and uh we basically like okay we know where she is now we know where to pursue her to and uh we head back to the palace to regroup again <laughs> uh we find out that hey guess what um there's barrels of gatlock everywhere like they're basically I think she says they were in Pharrell or in Denerim in the free marches. Like basically this was a all across Thetis plan Mm -hmm. that they were going to detonate all this Gatlock. And this is, this is the part where it kind of twists on us uh, in terms of the inquisition, whether it's the stay or disband because uh, Leliana delivers the news that, Hey, it was one of our own that organized the shipment for the winter palace right um and this is where josie like straight up has a breakdown about the inquisition and you're kind of like oh you know we've been compromised we may not be this total force of good we might have issues they might be right about us Mm. and then our anchor flares up real bad (laughs) and we have this uh really great moment where we can be like yeah um so the anchor's been getting real bad lately like Mm. like oh no bad uh like i might not have long left to live bad yeah um i had um i went with like the more uh i don't remember how much icon it was but like the angry one was like this fucking thing and like (laughs) because at that point like i had done throughout the whole deal think it's like it's about realizing that what is what the inquisition was it has to or is changing in some way and so like i as Mm -hmm. a character that has been playing through the whole game being like I want out of this, but there are people and things that I care about that are still here. Um, so, like, as I'm watching, like, you know, three pillars of that, like, just kind of 
unravel in front of me, and then this thing starts flaring up. I'm just like, this fucking thing, I've got to, like, there's all this shit going on, and I might be fucking dying. And so, like, I'm immediately starting to, like, lash out in ways that felt uh, in line with my character and the situation, um, and that hmm. maybe as it starts to escalate, I'm realizing the uh, direction I might go at the end of the DLC. Like, that, this was, like, one of the very particular moments where I was like, okay... I feel like I feel like I am starting to harden in one direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Uh, even for me at this point, like, I I think the anchor thing is maybe could have been paced just a hair better because I think it it goes really quickly from oh man this anchor's acting up to like oh man this anchor's gonna kill me <laughs> like um, I I kind of wish there'd maybe been something in the main story or maybe in like some. Uh, some of the lead up or, or just some sort of indication that like, Hey, you know, you're heading off to the exalted council. It's going to be two years later. And also your anchor has been kind of getting weird. Um, I wish there had been some sort of indication because I feel like it goes very zero to a hundred at this point. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a smoother ramp for that. But like, once it got to this point, I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. Um, this is happening. And like, there's a, there's a really good line that my inquisitor had about, they were like, uh i don't have many adventures left in me let me Mm -hmm. let me do this let me go end this and save the world this one last time um and that both like drove home for me like yes we are playing on a scale that is like world ending scale once again i feel like you know it escalates very fast but it earns it Mm -hmm. um but also just that moment of like resignation that you you are probably not going to survive for long right. and this is kind of your last ride like yeah that really got to me i, I yeah, felt and, like that was really well done yeah and, and i mean when we get do go back to the living and we have like as we're walking through like there will be like party banter where like dorian said something like uh uh i wish you told me that this was happening and, and uh you have mm-hmm. like you do the things like you have dialogue option and like i basically was like no matter what happens i would never i wouldn't trade the years we had together for anything i love you and then he's like, I knew you'd break my heart, you bastard. <laughs> so, like, they do a really good job of, like, setting up the, setting up something they don't deliver on. I, yeah. Mm, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I still, I like this moment. I think it's a good yeah. moment. I think the way they build this up is good. It's also, like, you have the choice here of either... You know, you've kind of been keeping the Orlesians and the Ferelden's in the dark, which they call you out on in a previous yep. segment. They're basically like, hey, well, you know, like all this stuff has been going on. And you're not telling us anything about it. Uh, so at this point, you can kind of have a make good where you're like, hey, go tell them what's going on. So that way, if I die pursuing this, like, you know who you got to go right. kill. Um, right. And I like that. I, I like just the feeling of this moment as you're going back through the Alluvian one last time. And you're like, okay, um, I gotta go end. This. <laughs> I gotta go end this. Like, this is my last ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we go, well, wait, did, you, through... did you tell them or not? Oh yeah, I told them. I, yeah, I, I let them know. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I was basically like, look, if I if I die here, then you know somebody's got to go end all this. Somebody's got to make sure they know what happens. Um, we start we start busting into the Darvarod. Uh, which I forgot exactly where this is in the world. I'm looking it up real quick. Um, Because all the other places we've been, like Elven Ruins and uh, the Crossroads. So the Darvarod is... That's Katari Island. 
Yeah, it's a quarantine site. Interesting. Uh, it's it's basically been their staging ground for the Alluvians, uh, where they've been bringing all the resources they have together, um, all their Alluvians, all their Lyrium, all all of like Project Dragon's Breath or whatever mm-hmm. has been happening here. Um, and we we proceed through. I feel like there was an attempt here to do like a stealth thing because once you get inside the actual place yeah. and and it's like oh there are guards on patrol here we need to look out i was like does it want me to sneak around or something and then you know like i just fought everyone anyways because like yeah i, I do don't know how game, like but... yeah like i don't feel like the game supports stealth in the way they might have been trying to do because like citadel yeah. had a sort of like shift to stealth for like a minute but they gave you the tools to make that work where inquisition doesn't literally yeah, does not like, work like a stealth game yeah and citadel you have that one moment like at the very beginning where you have that silence pistol and you're kind of sneaking around and taking guards out and stuff and like mm-hmm. that was really cool and i remember thinking that was really neat and something that i wish they had taken another stab at in mm-hmm. a future game but um it's i you know that was that was neat and a cool one off but here they're just like oh there are guards here i'm like okay more people to murder then let's do this <laughs> everybody knives out let's go <laughs> um but we finally catch up with uh, Vitasol and discover the actual reason why it's called Dragon's Breath. Because there's a fucking dragon. <laughs> there's, there's a big-ass dragon right there. Um, so it's at this point where we are outside the dragon chamber. Uh, where if we, had not, if we had not chosen to save the chargers... Uh, iron bull or if we had not do his companion mission at all uh iron bull will appear here and be like hey uh i'm part of the canari like i am with them even even if you have romanced Mm -hmm. him he will show up here and he's like look it's you or me and it's whether he's active party or not too yeah um and and you basically have to kill him here uh yeah. which woof <laughs> mm. um i would hate to have been an iron bull romancer who's got to kill him at this point good mm. lord yep. woof duh yeah Man. it's like second most heartbreak of this dlc for the <laughs> romancers out there <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I'd say even most. I'd say even most. Soulless Mancers knew what they were getting into. <laughs> I mean, I guess and Natalie. <laughs> yeah. And I guess Orion Romancers have a hope of that relationship happening in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, you have hope of it continuing in some way. Like mm. you don't have to murder <laughs> your romance because they're like, "Well, got to follow the cune. That's it." Yeah. Sorry, babe. one of us gotta die here um yeah yeah. oof anyways we didn't have to do that (laughs) yeah it's it's one of the things like i don't have like a whole lot of like feelings on to beyond that it's fucking sad like that it all like everyone involved ends up in that position but also like maybe don't let the charges die like don't maybe like maybe don't be a dick like be a good person who stands by their friends Maybe do that. This is this is so sad. Alexa, play Despacito. Mm. Oh wait, I didn't actually just act. Okay, I, I thought I activated it for a second. That was going to be really awkward. You might have activated this... somebody that's listening. Yeah, 
<laughs> gonna get our podcast DMCA'd. <laughs> um, anyways, once we deal with uh, all the not Iron Bull people in this room, we head to the Dragon Chamber for what is a pretty interesting boss fight because it's mm-hmm. a boss fight where you don't have to kill the boss if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, which I thought was pretty neat. So we have the, yeah. the dragon here, Atashi, and we can opt to either uh, kill the dragon so that way nobody can use the dragon's breath. And that's what Viviana's like, look, just kill this dragon. That We came here to stop dragon's breath. That's a dragon. It's got breath. Let's do this thing. Whereas Cassandra was like, wait, maybe there's like something else we could do where we don't have to murder the giant dragon. That seems kind of mean. Um, yeah, she was like, it's, it's already been like kind of abused in the in the process like it seems unnecessarily mm-hmm. cruel i think was how she phrased it yeah so um and i remember this being tricky the first time i did it but basically like uh you've got to destroy the, the wagon that's on one of the rings that can rotate that's kind of like stopping it from moving and then you have to run up top and there are a bunch of wheels that can rotate the different rings uh that will eventually make it so the flames that are keeping her locked in to where she is uh like they they will not be blocking her from the gate anymore and then you have to run past her and pull the levers on the gates to open the gate up and then atashi takes off and murders a bunch of canari on her way out which uh we we stand we stand yeah. atashi in this Very house good yeah um and i like that i was like that's cool also fun fact you don't get any loot or anything for killing the dragon there's nothing so there's no there's no reason to kill her so everyone who kills Atashi in this scene, you did it for nothing, you cruel bastards. <laughs> mm. Anyways, we uh, go to catch up with Vitasala again. And this time, before escaping through the Alluvian, uh, she reveals more of the world. This is kind of Vitasala's thing, right? She's like, hey, I'm going to reveal something and then walk through the Alluvian. She's like mm. the third time she's done this. Um, surprise solus is a chief agent of fen harrell and vitasala is going to kill him and uh it's at this point that we're like okay well now we know where the leak in the inquisition came from that makes sense okay uh and also hey solus remember solus the dude that helped us out um yeah he you know he was the one that actually put the orb in corypheus's hand and made all this stuff happen but oh also he knows how the anchor works so maybe he can fix our hand and stop us from dying so we've got to go stop vitasala from killing solus uh but we can also say that we're going to murder him too <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh we we get the dialogue option here to be other like let's save solus or like i'm gonna murder solus myself <laughs> like, yeah, like not if i get to him first yep um which i mean i don't know who like so feel that slighted i don't know that's a i don't know i don't know maybe if you're a soulless mancer who who feels burned (laughs) i I guess um ken i know it's Mm. hard to like think back to well maybe it's hard for me not hard for you but (laughs) thinking back to like the first time you played this dlc i feel like i didn't know much going into it and definitely like did not fully expect them to bring solace back at this point mm. um but i would i remember being surprised by this like you know the revelation that I, we've we've already had kind of the revelation that solace was working to his own ends 
and we mm. got the revelation that he was the one who put the orb in Corypheus's hands. Um, I would I would even argue that attentive people could have figured out the big twist of this DLC just from the main game, but um, at, at this point we uh, we we basically get confirmation that Solus was playing the other team um, and has been actively interfering and causing things to happen in his absence. So how do you feel about old Solus at this point? Old Egg Boy. Uh, I think because I, I had like a very agreeable relationship with him in the, the base game, I am just kind of like, this is a person that I want answers from more than I want any sort of like revenge or like any sort of right, like, right. Uh, being like, like, oh, I'm not, she can't kill him because I'm going to do, no, I'm more like, I need to <laughs> find the person that was my friend that also can maybe fix my hand that can also like, tell me what the fuck is going on like not even just mm-hmm. right now with all the court the, i almost called the fucking quarians that's a different video game series the canari and uh also like why he left like what what is like i've he suspects i have questions i got some questions mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I feel the same way i'm like hey you know like it, it, we finally have a chance to catch Solus and get some answers from him so let's go get some answers uh, and we go through the Alluvian after Vitasala and enter what... Ken, I'm just going to be honest, this is the best part of the DLC. Like, mm-hmm. all the other parts of the DLC, very good. But from here on out is the filet mignon of the the Bioware DLC. Like, this is the good stuff. This is where it's at. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I'm I'm a big fan of this section because we get into the, the Elven Ruins and... Uh, immediately we're greeted with a notification that hey the anchor is going to be constantly charging like it's just mm-hmm. going to always be charging at focus and initially you're like oh neat cool you know we've got our anchor rift and we've got our anchor discharge and all that only anchor discharge is now anchor meltdown and uh, if we don't discharge it ourselves manually uh, it will explode and do damage to both us and our party members um so man the next few battles where you're just constantly running around and blasting people with the anchor trying to not blow yourself up with all this gatlock that you know some level designer was just putting around like oh that would because like when you use the discharge it makes you invulnerable to the damage so you basically just blow up gatlock around you without any consequence Mm -hmm. like this is we were talking earlier about how this is like late game. They don't have to worry about balancing anything, so they can just give you some tools to play right. with and see what you do. Yeah, this is this is that part. This is where right. they're just like, this would be sick. <laughs> yeah, if you were just running around exploding everything with your fist all the time. Yeah, and it, and um, it works with like with the the state of like what's going on in the story because like it feels very frantic. Mm-hmm. It feels very like time is running out, so you have to keep going and. But even if it means just, like, letting all the fade magic just come out of your body and, like, take out whatever's around you. Um, yeah, and it, it feels like, up to this point, I was very much in, like, a combat uh, rotation. You know, like, I had my abilities that I would use. I'd just kind of get into a groove. And adding this, you know, ticking timer to my hand just suddenly now i'm just frantically like oh i can't use abilities because i need to run into a group of enemies and discharge my anchor before it hurts my party and 
I, I'm just constantly running around and trying to find ways to spend my fade energy. And mm-hmm. even when the Inquisitor uses the ability, like it blows them back a bit. Like they, yeah, the animation that the Inquisitor does, at least for me, is like they hold their fist out and then kind of flinch back from it. Yeah, uh, like waiting for a discharge. It's just, just really cool little touches yep. that I really liked. Um, and speaking of like just cool gameplay segments, we eventually get to the final Sarah boss fight of the DLC, which is like a boss Sarah boss uh, named Sarath. And holy heck, Ken, mm. this fight owns. This mm. fight's <laughs> sick. Like, yeah. we, we had issues with some of the boss design in the main game because they kind of adhered largely to either being a dragon or just being like kind of a souped up normal enemy. And Corpheus right. was obviously like a massive disappointment in terms of just being a boss character Sarath is he is a souped up Sarah boss but he's just doing all this like he feels like he is a souped up Sarah boss but he's also just this aggressive like constantly attacking throwing out all these different moves really punishing you for being out of you know out of position or anything like that Mm -hmm. um dude I love this fight this fight's so good yeah and um it, it like that added on with the actual like the like the ticking timer of uh, your uh, mm-hmm. all that going on, um, just constantly like very like one of the more action oriented fights in the game just in general because like in if you're unless you're doing like the tactical view like the game is technically it, it's like a weird hybrid between like strategic and an actual action game. Well, this just felt like a straight up action game and like at least for um, some builds I imagine it would because like I play a fairly mobile mage and like I. Like, I'm a knight enchanter that uh, specializes in ice, so I have a lot of moves that are, like, constantly having me on the move, and having a character, like, having an enemy that I could fight that was, like, actually matching me movement for movement in a game that that typically is not happening, made, like, it was, like, I wish the game was, like, this more often. Like, you know, it's, like, this game's combat can be, like, fairly middling to, like, you know, pretty good throughout the majority of the base game, but, like, if it was, like full of encounters like that i feel like mm-hmm. the actual playing of it would have been would have stuck with a lot of people more often yeah yeah i just i the only thing i felt like i was missing from this was like having some sort of like more specific mechanics of this character but even then like just it being this very powerful version of a thing where it had its own special moves but then also like had a very recognizable skill set that you've been built up to deal with throughout the like the course of the dlc like just felt like the right culmination of all the things that trespasser mm-hmm. was doing and the way it ends to holy crap like the game is just straight up like hey you need to use the anchor to kill it and you basically just blast it in the face with anchor magic like mm-hmm. oh man man yeah. oof good shit good shit um so at this point, by the way, I, I never really got, like, why we go through the mirror alone in this yeah. section. Like, all your partners stop moving. <laughs> like, they... Yeah. And, I, like, I get they want, like, that scene, the next scene to just be the Inquisitor, and that's well and good, but, like, I almost feel like they could have made that part, a, like, like they could have made, like, a full cut scene of, like, the, the party going through, and, like, the second the Inquisitor walks through the Olivian, it just cuts off, and, like, they can't get through, and... Mm-hmm no yeah weird but it's yeah. fine weird weird whatever um we enter and we find all the canari forces that were with vidasala turn to stone and as we head up towards 
the summits um we can hear solus and vitasala talking uh and solus is basically like hey stop messing with me stop messing around like you've had your fun get out of here get out of the alluvians and vitasala is about to chuck a spear at solus and solus basically just flashes his eyes not even looking at her like he's still mm. looking away and she turns to stone um so hey solus has got some uh some new moves <laughs> um and as we approach solus to try and get our answers the anchor flares up and you know we're reduced to our knees basically and solus like walks over and kind of puts the anchor on pause so that you can have a conversation and it's at this point that if we'd found all the notes uh we can properly accuse solus of being who he is or we can just kind of like ask him a question he'll tell us but mm-hmm. this is where we find out that solace is fen harrell ah, he's the dread wolf <laughs> i mean we kind of knew this from the ending of dragon age inquisition anyways but it's like confirmation but now the, and all that. the inquisitor gets to know yeah i mean <laughs> it was really broadcasted like in retrospect i was i was looking back at like dragon age, obviously the end of dragon age inquisition like the way that Mithal talks to him and all that kind of implies that there's some stuff going on there in the orb and all that and but especially when you go and look at his card after he has left the party mm-hmm. and it's him with a giant wolf over him and i was just like ah uh, they weren't subtle <laughs> but, mm-hmm. i don't know um, if they were trying to be by that point but yeah i, I, mean, like, I, like... I feel like the post credits was very over like mm. yes yeah i mean especially if you're like into the like lore of the universe and all that um but the i will say the one thing i didn't like is that you have to kind of find these these codices that are hidden yeah, off I, the beaten path and very hard to find places yes yeah, I, I didn't even bother like it, what's like doing all that like work just to be like oh i fucking knew it like yeah just to like it's phoenix not... write him <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, it's whatever. So Solus reveals that he is Solus. Like, his name was originally Solus, and the, the label Fenharel came after uh, the Evanuris gave it to him as, as kind of an insult, though he wore it as a badge of honor, uh, because he was kind of trying to turn all these slaves against the Evanuris. And then once mm. uh, once they... So, and Ken, here's where you're going to have to help me with the lore a bit, because I'm really shaky on some of this stuff. And obviously some of this I feel like we're going to get cleaned up a bit in Dragon Age 4 as well, because this is all really laying the stage for what's going to come in the next game, uh, mm. presumably. But the Eveners killed Mythal mm-hmm. and were th- basically threatening to destroy the world with their actions. And so he decides to permanently banish them by creating the Veil, which mm. destroyed the Elven people because, as we learn as we've learned throughout this DLC and get confirmation here, um, the, the fade and the real world used to be linked as one Mm -hmm. and we're basically coexisting and the veil, um, took not, not only like took away the elves immortality, um, and destroyed a bunch of like modern marvels, like the library that we went through and all that. Um, but, it also just kind of like cut that connection off mm-hmm. between between the real world and the fade and 
has kind of led to the state of the world as it is. And, and Sola says he's, he's been sleeping for years and years and years. And he's, he's, he wakes up a year prior to the events of Inquisition. And he's, he describes it as walking through a world full of tranquil. Um, mm. So he's come to regret his decision. And his plan was to he couldn't use his orb again because he was too weak when he woke up. So he wanted Corypheus to activate the orb, which would have killed him. And then Solus would step in, take the anchor for himself and the orb for himself and start reworking the world. Only mm. that didn't work because as we learned, Corypheus had found the, the secret of effective immortality. He had all the, the ability to jump into other people and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So, um, he's kind of been playing us in a way ever since you know he's got um he had spies within the inquisition you know obviously he orchestrated the events of inquisition to happen he led us to skyhold he was kind of poking and prodding us the whole way and um he was also the one his his specific agent one of his agents within the inquisition was the one who alerted the Inquisitor to the dead Canary and also was the one who found the um, the Gatlock barrel and all mm-hmm. that. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's weird. So it, let's let's start there before we get to kind of the why of all this. Um, so the gods are are mortal. Um, mm-hmm. the The veil is a construct, not mm-hmm. not natural uh it is theoretically keeping the world together although you might argue that it's also like a problem and solus wants to tear it all down and potentially kill everyone in order to return it back to the way it was before uh yep thoughts (laughs) i i dig it in a lot of ways, because, like, it's... Dragon Age hasn't had a good villain before. Like, straight up just has not mm. had... It. Well, I mean, the Aeroshock, I guess, is debatable. But, like, I'm talking about in terms of somebody that is going to have, like, a very worldwide impact on the universe, but also has, like, like genuine regret and sorrow for, like, a world that he thought he was doing the right thing for. That he, you know... And the grand scheme of things, like, he might believe that he did, but, like, when he wakes up and sees that the world does not is not what he believed it would be. Um, and he feels a deep regret for what he's done. Um, there's a really solid, like, there's, like, a very solid conflict here, just, like, between the Inquisitor and Solus, like, the Inquisitor not realizing that they were maybe in the midst of doing the things that they were doing. Setting up a potentially world-ending cataclysm, like, another one, like, you know, stop one, and, and then ultimately, like, pave the way for another. Um... Mm. And, you know, that is the point where I'm like, okay, now I see a reason for people to, like, actively hate souls. Because, like, not only is he, like, doing this fucked up thing that he wants to do that will pretty much destroy the majority of the world. Or, like, the people that live in it, uh, other than the elves. And, like, and all, in, you know, in the name of bringing back uh, the immortality of his people. Um, but he also, like, betrayed you. Like, he's been, like, playing you the whole time. Like, there's always that constant question of, like, was anything that happened between me and this person genuine right, and that right. and like if you're a friend like we were that's like one thing but then if you're like in a romance with him mm-hmm. that's a whole mm-hmm. other thing like did you know it makes you wonder like under what pretenses was this man getting close to me um 
And I think, like, just all of these, like, layers are really fucking good. Like, they're... Because, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. with with Meredith, like, the extent of, like, her... Uh, I mean, like, she, she had, like, her path with mages, but, like, the extent of, like, what pushed her in that way is, like, oh, this red lyria made me go nuts. So, cool. That's my motivation. Um, Corypheus believed, like, had these delusions of grandeur that he was meant for something greater than he ever was able, like, capable of. Um, so to have a character that's just, like, has, like, this really powerful inner turmoil about something that he's done and things that, like, and, like, having woken up so far removed from what happened to see the, how history, like, his own history was written for these people that he was, like, these people that he ostensibly, uh, like, was trying to save hate him because they have been told this very, uh, this, this fabricated version of the history. So, like, I, it makes sense to, like, meet this person who has has all this regret, but also this resentment for, like, just the way that everything went, um, and I think, like, the implication that he has that, like, he's gonna do, like, this is what he wants to do, this is the future that he sees for this world, but he knows that he probably won't make it through, like, there's this, he, he, he feels very tired, in a way, that, like, a very, what, world-weary character having been through, you know, experiences that no one else in this universe is ever going to, like, you know, it's a very specific set of circumstances that no one will ever have to go through themselves. But, like, mm-hmm. I, I think the story of Solus as a character that started out with the best of intentions getting written into history as, like, one of the primary villains of an entire culture um, is fascinating. Like, it's, like, it, I think it does a lot to elevate the, the elven lore of this universe because it gives it a face, like a person that attach it to, rather than just be like these codex entries that we hear, or like these legends that get passed along. Like, no, we ha- we see somebody that lived through it and is dealing with the consequences of it, like trying to come back into a world that he tr- thought he was saving. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really like as we talk with him, you can kind of try and prod him and be like, I there's got to be a better way like that mm-hmm. destroying the world cannot be the only way you know and and that was kind of the route that my um that my inquisitor took because i think i think playing this game through as an elf was the right call for me because this is where it ultimately like culminated in feeling like a really good choice because i my character was torn between you know restoring the dalish i mean throughout all the dragon age games we've had so far the elves have just been treated like shit Mm-hmm. um in every place and and to the point where they've they've even kind of played second fiddle to a lot of other races you know we've we've dealt with the ways that elves have been treated like shit but we've done very little to actually help them because right. it feels like it's just such a pervasive right thing um yeah you know and ev- all the elves are either in in alienages or in dalish clans or in servitude and like yeah Ugh. Yeah, and we don't. We talked about it when uh, Ash for the Vivian episode, like that idea that like it's always it's weird to me now, like thinking back on it, like after we have done all these shows, that, like the like real quote unquote like injustice of the Dragon Age universe that we are really given an opportunity to engage with is mm-hmm. the one that is about character like people that can be possessed by demons and have like like they are like walking bombs and. Mm-hmm. they treat that like the civil rights allegory in their universe when there's a, there's a whole fucking people yeah. that are yeah. being constantly marginalized in this universe that like it, I mean to for that to have been like in the background for all of these games to like see the person that finally becomes like the symbol of that be this like radical that is willing to destroy the world to see his people 
freed and like back to their prime kind of makes sense like it's not you know it's not ideal because I don't think that I don't, I don't know the Dragon Age as a whole is just done right by a lot of the stories because it has tried to make them like these both sides of them uh, shit like they did with the mages um, so I don't really know how I'm going to feel about it when it actually ends up happening but like I think that Solus is like a very solid like wake up call for that universe to be like yes. kind of be like yeah. this is the real injustice that mm-hmm. is like there's not even like a nuance to it like you have ruined the lives of these people for thousands of years and mm-hmm. I am going to come in and fix this world for them by whatever means necessary and and this is what it's going to cost you because of how long this has gone on and I think there's I think the interesting tinge on that too is that like i i I think it makes solace interesting because he's very like he's he feels a lot of guilt for what has happened to to the people to to elves um because he was the one that caused you know their their glorious empire to fall apart but at the same time like he was the one who caused that but then it was to venter and it was humans and it was all these other people that then came in and took over the elves and dominated the elves and it's like it creates this really interesting thing where like yes solus can be seen as a bad person but the people who carried out those atrocities against the elves were was not solus like that right. did not happen one you know people had to step in and do that stuff and i i'm really hoping that where they go with this conflict and where they take it in in the future like it could be really really good like because this is this is something you can base a game around, base a future Dragon Age around. Is this idea right. that, and and you even mentioned like, hey, if you if you tear down the veil and reunite the fade in the world, wouldn't that bring the old gods back too? And he's just kind of like, yeah, well, uh, I've got a plan for that, and yeah. I'm not telling you it. And like, there's there's a sort of respect that you can feel with Solus too. Like at least my Inquisitor did because it's like he respects my inquisitor because he he openly like told my inquisitor he's like i i like you i respect you and that's why this is going to be a brief conversation because it would be all too tempting to tell you too much and it's like the same for my inquisitor where i'm like i i like what you're doing you have a good cause but the Mm. way you're going to do it is going to kill so many people and i'm desperate for you just to find another way and not see this as your only resort and like Yeah, that's a that's, that's a complex character to work with, man. There's, yeah, there's meat conflict, on that bone. It's a complex, com- like uh, conflict between two people too, because like you get to have like it is like one. They're like you know two final conversations that you have in this. Like you're basically setting your inquisitor's intentions of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you can be like oh well I will fucking stop you by any means necessary. But then like you, if you have that other relationship, you can be like I'm gonna prove to you that this, that there are something else you can do for the elves. Like you don't have to yeah, do this. I'm, this world is not beyond yourself. right. Yeah. This, this world is not beyond saving, just as you aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, oh, God. Ah! God. Oh. Mm. <laughs> um. Anyways, so we um and and also like the other note I wanted to make is that you can then be like, okay, Solus, then why were you helping me? Why did you help me find all this Canari plot and all that? Yeah. And he basically says like. I don't want the world to fall under the cune because I'd rather see them die in comfort. And that's like such right. a haunting line, man. That is like, it's, 
it's stuck with me because it's like he sees he has compassion for these people but he mm-hmm. still just he still just sees them as they are going to be slaughtered eventually they are all going to die eventually he just wants them to die in a way where they will not be that will be the most comfortable for them until they have to die it's it's creepy you know like it's the way right. that it's the way I imagine like a, a rancher looks at a bunch of cows or something, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like it just it sent chills up my spine a little bit. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, once our conversation is done here, the anchor flares up and Solus is basically like, well, I, I'm going to save your life here. Um, and he takes our left forearm along with the anchor and leaves through the alluvian. Um, bam that's it um and then we return to the exalted council and and what is a reveal because they don't initially show that mm. we lose the arm there uh but then reveal it in the middle of that cut scene as we're talking to the exalted council um and we now have a choice ken mm. we we get to stand up to the exalted council and say we get to decide our own fate determine our own fate and we are either going to side with divine victoria and make the inquisition part of her peacekeeping honor guard you know we'll still slim down our forces but we will effectively become a peacekeeping organization uh under the divine and prepare for the battle ahead with solace or we can disband and do our own preparations in secret without you know the the massive resources of the inquisition without the help of the chantry and stuff right and the the, Um, uh the way that it frames those is also like if you are if you are still like this peacekeeping organization the the implication is that you will have stronger forces but you might be more prone to corruption like you might be more open to corruption because like just the the amount of people that you have working with you whether and if you disband you might not be as powerful but like you are working within like the inner circle and like you are able Mm -hmm. to kind of uh like be, be, not know who you're working with in a way that you right, can't necessarily right. do in the other scenario right um so i'll go first i i chose to keep the inquisition together as a peacekeeping force and i think basically it was that um i felt like it it, it cemented for me in that in that last conversation with solace where my feeling coming away from it was that Solus could not yet see that humanity as a whole could be good. And so I wanted to remain a peacekeeping organization as part of the Chantry. So that way, like I wasn't some small insurgency trying to stop him, but that I could show him that humanity could unite under a good cause mm-hmm. and be, and that there could be larger forces for good that it, it didn't just come down to the actions of one people of one person, but entire people could all work for each right. other. Um, I wanted to I wanted to tip the scales in that way, but mm-hmm. and I'll toss it over to you this way. I totally see the argument for disbanding the Inquisition. Yeah. So, I over the past five years since Trespasser came out, um, I have gone back and watched this scene of, like fairly often. Just like if I ever get like mm-hmm. in a mood where I'm like I want to go like watch some Dragon Age footage or something. Like I've got it like saved on my PS4, so I was like oh, I'll just open up this and, like, watch the Dorian romance and then watch, like, the, the save uh, stuff I have from Trespasser. Um, I don't feel like Bioware could have possibly made a final scene of Dragon Age Inquisition that felt, like, I felt more as one with the Inquisitor as a character. Like, mm-hmm. because 
like I've been saying this whole season, I am playing a character who, one, wanted out of everything. Like, related to the conflicts that were happening on a very, like, grounded, earthly level, and didn't care to, like, exist, and, and like, like, pretend that my existence meant very specific things to, like, all these very specific cultures and beliefs. Um, and so, when I get to Trespasser, and it's been two years, and, like, I can see, like, the personal ties that I had are starting to kind of unravel just because people are leaving, people are not getting along the way they used to, people are kind of, like, realizing that this is kind of the end of... The thing that kept us all together is not the same thing it was two years ago. And mm-hmm. then, so... I get to that point where, like, I, I'm walking to the room, and my arm is gone. This is, like, the cost of everything that I have been through. And I've got people that are, like, trying to, you know, uh, lock down everything that I've built with all these people that I care about. And, like, put up, like, I think Dorian at one point said they want to collar us and, like, make us their pet. And I'm just, like, mm-hmm. all of these moments come, come together where I'm, like... The, the speech that the Inquisitor gives, if you choose to disband the Inquisition, if you specifically choose, like, the angry option, which was the one I went with, um, he, he holds up the, uh, the book that Divine Justinia, like, basically wrote, like, she was uh, authorizing the formation of the Inquisition, and the gist of the, what he says is, it wasn't the formation of the Inquisition that fixed the Civil War in Orle, or that saved uh, Redcliffe from the Avenger Mages, it wasn't the name that saved the world, it was the people that mm. were under the banner. Um, so I'm like, it, it was never about the organization, it was about us. It was about what we did mm. as a unified group. And so you drop the book, like like you're dropping the mic, walk out and say, effective immediately, the Inquisition is disbanded, just walk out. Everyone is in shock. But I am... I, like that was it was like a, a victory lap for that character that I had spent the entire game making because it was just like I had never like the synergy between me and a Bioware protagonist mm-hmm. had not mm-hmm. been that fucking strong, maybe even ever. Like I think like you know I have I have a very different relationship with Inquisitor than, than I do Shepard, but like there is like a sense of like we talked about it, like the very first episode of the Inquisition. There's like a level of authorship with the Inquisitor that you're given that even with Shepard, even Ryder, uh, like any of these other characters that um. I mean, sort of like the warden, I guess, but they're, like, not even really a character. They're just, like, a text lines. Um, that level of authorship and, like, crafts you can bring to that character is kind of unprecedented in most of Bioware's games. And I think, it, like, regardless of my feelings on Dragon Age as a whole, which, as anyone that's listening to this podcast knows, is, like, very much trended downward from what it was even before we started the show, that moment solidifies Inquisition as, like, as a singular video game as something very special to me, and because I don't expect to ever feel that type of connection with a video game protagonist ever again. Yeah. Like, I, I'd say even the same goes for me. Like, I just felt like my answer, somehow choosing the answer, which I think I did the teary-eyed um, peacekeeping organization one, like, somehow those icons and picking the right side of the dial ends up just feeling right mm-hmm. no matter what you choose i feel and and they just get the tone so good in this in this section they get the the ideas so good that like i mean this is i've always kind of had a, a problem with some of the binaries that bioware puts forward because i think like so often it's like do you want to make the good choice or the evil choice you know do you want to mm-hmm. The one I can always point to is the Rachni. You know, you, do you want to yep. murder an entire civilization or do you want to let them free and hope they don't murder other civilizations? And 
that that never felt quite right to me whereas here i feel like this is maybe the best like choice they give you in this game because Mm -hmm. it just feels so justified on either side that you could easily reason and rationalize out what you want to do and it makes sense and it clicks and yeah um and, and and like the weird the weird addendum i feel like i need to tack onto this because we immediately after the scene go into the epilogue and start getting kind of our our additional endings alongside what we what we had gotten in dragon age inquisition um you know the inquisition disbands but it's like heavily implied that even if it disbands your core group stays together in mm. some way like there's still yeah. kind of a stop soulless group happening right. in a basement somewhere which is shown in like the post credit stinger but we'll get to that but um it's that felt kind of weird but i think just the idea of like i i think it ends up making this more interesting because it it really begs the question is the inquisition the important part you know right. is is us being the Inquisition what's important or is us being together what's right. more important? Potentially, yeah. like, the most important. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel in that way you can so easily just swing either way on this and, and come out with an answer. And and like you were saying, if you were playing a character who adheres to some strict beliefs, it opens that door up for you to be that sort of character so easily. And I, I just like this moment. That's a good moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we roll on through our epilogue choices, um, obviously... Uh, I kept the peacekeeping organization, so, you know, we tried to, we we lost some of our members, they went home, you know, they're done with war, but, you know, we stay under the divine, and we add some new members, and we try to uh, check them thoroughly to ferret out any more corruption, whereas if we disbanded, uh, the Inquisition proper just kind of doesn't exist anymore. I feel like that one's the more rosy ending, because it just kind of ends on a sweet note, like, they're all like... You know, we remember the the good fight and what we did, and that's how we want to mm-hmm. remember the Inquisition. It was a good thing and all that. Um, obviously, we did not choose to ally with the Canari because we chose to save the Chargers. So both of us got the um, the Canari just kind of retreat back to the north and wage some extra war, some extracurricular mm-hmm. war against Taventer. <laughs> and um, I feel like that's just that that's just kind of setting up next game as we will again we'll soon get to um Mm. we do have some whereabouts for all the characters that are kind of updated ones which is why i feel the the um the decision the stuff that they show you at the end of inquisition feels kind of weird now because we got endings for those characters and now we're just kind of getting i mean we got kind of like in-game endings whereas these are like proper epilogue endings for these characters Mm. but still like so this is what they kind of do after depending on whether the the inquisition stay together so for me uh cassandra was still the divine and was kind of leading the peacekeeper inquisition uh but she also helped rebuild the seekers and and got them back together and, and created a new order of seekers um how did your cassandra turn out yeah so she, she basically ends up being Liliana's uh advisor as like one of the uh like the, there's a, a mention that like they don't agree on shit which is that makes sense considering they have such different views on how the church should go about but basically that they were mutually respectful of each other um uh, I told her not to rebuild the Seekers, so I don't know if I actually got anything on that. Mm. 
Okay, fair enough. Um, my my Sarah stuff was pretty basic. She just went back to being a red Jenny. Yeah. Um, and just kind of did stuff, and then she also let um by divine know that you could always call on her for a little bit of extra help yeah (laughs) um vivian is where i think we're going to have some difference here so cassandra divine uh the templars recruited it was kind of interesting for me that vivian was elected grand enchanter of the circle of magi but the mages of the inquisition and those who really did not return to the fold or anything ended up building a rival college of enchanters yeah and there was like it kind of implied that there would be a civil war between um the mages in that way i thought that was kind of interesting i don't know what your outcome yeah, was I, but i got a similar thing where, like she you know she becomes a grand enchanter of, of a she builds a new circle which like mm. because liliana has like originally disbanded circles and so like they had the college of magi which was basically like the circle without the templars um Mm -hmm. so like they're like in compete they're like these competing forces um it's like it doesn't really go it doesn't really get more specific than that but then it's just kind of Mm -hmm. vivian is basically trying to uphold what she thought was totally dope which was putting mages in chains (laughs) oh vivian okay i I know that's very reductive but like just yeah (laughs) I know, I know. Vivian's an interesting character. Very dynamic character. Mm-hmm. Um, Varric, on the other hand, uh, really the only difference for Varric is whether or not Hawk is in the Fade. And the only difference there is that Hawk is either helping Varric in being a Viscount and restoring yep. Kirkwall or not. Uh, I feel like this is a very intentional decision to be like, hey, Varric's probably going to be in the next game too, so let's put him in a place where we can always refer back to him easily and not have too mm. many different world states with him as opposed to like vivian or cullen or characters like that um so yeah i mean i like i like the way Varric's story ends it's very him but yeah um iron bull i mean for mm. both of us he's just hanging out with the chargers doing jobs and such just you know yeah He's just being Iron Bull. You know, he's living that bull life, you know? Yeah, although, I mean, I guess you have the uh, Dorian Bull romance in your playthrough. I... That didn't come up for me. Oh, it was hmm. weird. That is weird. Yeah. I wonder if it's because I never had Bull in my party very often. I think I only had Dorian and Bull in my party together, like, once throughout the game. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder if that's a thing. Um, Maybe. Or I might have... I was having to, like, spacebar through these because they weren't voiced. Are they supposed to be voiced? No. Okay. Well, they weren't voiced, so I might have accidentally skipped over a, a line without meaning to, but... Um, Leliana. For you, Leliana was divine. What happened for you? Yeah, so... She, she gets, like, two, or two separate uh, things depending on whether she's steeled or inspired. Um, right, right. So basically, it's like, oh, she's gonna like fully like dive right into her role. Um, she ended like I said last week. She opens up priesthood to all genders, all races, um, which uh-huh. you know the the uh, the purists, the traditionalists were not uh, not cool with. But because she's sealed in my playthrough, she just kind of like chokes that out. It's you know 
not something that lasts very long. And then, you know, so the Chantry just ends up being a more progressive place. Mm-hmm. For me, um, well, you know, I just kept being spy master, um, you know, doing all kinds of spy stuff. Uh, specifically during its months as an independent organization, she also spent time training up various members of the Inquisition, including Scout Harding, mm. uh, to kind of become her successor, if necessary. Uh, luckily, neither one of us got the really weird ending with if she died at Origins and she like becomes a ghost or something. But yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a weird. Uh, don't know how you're gonna pull that one in, in Dragon Age Four. Good luck, Bower. <laughs> um, Dorian. I mean, mm-hmm. so we you you got a nice little romance ending here. Yeah, it's like I mean, for everybody, he, he's going back to to venture to into the magisterium and be like this uh you know this, this revolutionary force for change yeah yeah um and then so the uh for me for the other person with the roman it talks about how like they uh still talk through the message crystal when they're not when they're apart but the inquisitor is often seen in Tevinter just mm-hmm. mysteriously vibing around amongst other things I'm- <laughs> just hanging out you know just doing stuff just, doing stuff. just, just hanging out and then also sticking straight out mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um for me yeah we just kept in constant communication via the message crystal moral support you know given giving each other strength to continue on and fight the good fight um mm-hmm. and again nothing here i got nothing here about dorian and bull here so i guess mm-hmm. i just did not did not really have anything here. weird um Cullen. Oh my lord, the quantum states mm. of Cullen. Um, so for me, obviously, he was off the Lyrium, uh, and the Inquisition stuck together, and he just kind of hung around, and he was like the, I'm helping the Templars, whose minds were messed up by Lyrium, we're helping yep. everybody get off the Lyrium, you know, we're doing good stuff. He's just kind of a general stand-up dude. Um, for you, I think because he's not with the Inquisition, he kind of starts his own like rehab clinic. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, somewhere in Ferelden. Um mm-hmm. So that's good. That's a that's a good place for nice. him to be. Nice little endings. Not endings yeah. where uh, he gets mercy killed by Scout yeah. Harding <laughs> uh, because he's just a complete lyrium addict on the streets. Um, yeah, which is a very very sad ending. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um. I think we both had Tom Rainier. By the way, we forgot to mention the Black Walls in this DLC. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his, Woo, his thing was blew right over that like, one. Yeah, he did, he, basically, he went and like like had to go tell everybody that he betrayed, like what happened, and then yep. Yep. he was like, and like none of them were happy to see me, and everyone was upset about what happened, and he was like, and I think he's he, going he, going by his real name again too. By the way, Tom. Yeah. Like even his card changes to say Tom Rainier instead of Blackwall. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I think for both of us, he just kind of set off on a gift or, or on a quest of like being compassionate and helping those who are mm-hmm. on a bad path. Um, kind of not too dissimilar from Cole, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, just kind of going out to do some good in the world. Uh, I thought it was a nice little ending for him. You know, just yeah. head out. I, if he rode off into the sunset here, didn't really ever make an appearance again. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. He's just. He's just doing what he wants to do. Um, 
Josie, tell me your Josie real quick. Um, oh, hold on. Oh, there's no distinction here between... Oh, never mind, he says. Um, she basically, like, because the English is disbanded, it's implied that she is going to be one of them that is just going to kind of retire from that. Because, um, like, she's not even present in the post-credit scene, so I think, like, I think the implication is that, like, I will, like... She, she's not going to be around. Um, but then she, like, I, I did her quest peacefully, which I think we both did, actually. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did not do the assassinations. Which the, the ending with the assassinations is also actually very funny, but mm-hmm. yeah, basically uh, the the Montilliers are once again trading in Orlais thanks to the help of the Inquisitor. Um, ships are sailing, trade is beginning. Some some pirates get involved, and there's some feuding and all kinds of stuff. Basically, the stuff that Josie loves. You know, it's great. If you do the the assassination for her quest. Uh, her companion quest the house of repose actually shows back up instead of being like mad that you killed some of their people they're basically like hey good job you want to like you want to hire us and she basically (laughs) like hires them to guard her ships against the pirates and uh that like solves the problem then and there um i thought that was just kind of funny uh and there's a very there's this very sweet ending where the inquisitor found themselves warmly received by josephine's family house montelier soon became a second home a place where the inquisitor could at last find peace for a while with josephine happily by her side um Mm. i like that ending because my whole thing was that the inquisitor was this you know wayward dalish elf that found themselves suddenly in the middle of a giant war and you know they've become a much bigger person than they ever expected to be and Mm. they they rose to the occasion they wanted to be the symbol of the inquisition the symbol of hope but having a place where they could just escape and be just a person for a while is is nice and i i feel like that ending with with josie and stuff is is very nice i like that very much yeah um cole for both of us was human took out with meriden to to find a new life and help people out went to sing went to make people happy all that kind of stuff very nice mm-hmm. good stuff for... then we've got two two more scenes here so we do get one more uh one more bit about the elven people that um elves under the inquisition servants across thetis all that all kind of start disappearing one by one they're all disappearing and it's it's whispered that fen Harel is kind of gathering forces mm-hmm so you know putting that pin there there's also if you had romanced solas and tried to convince him to like change his mind back at our conversation previously she will sometimes have dreams of solas watching her um and it kind of leaves that pin there that maybe just maybe there's something going on um that there could be some way of changing solas's mind and then we bounce back to a scene which is it looks like it's in the it's in haven which is kind of weird it looks like they're back in haven in the basement of the chantry in haven um and it's the inquisitor leliana scout harding and cassandra all kind of discussing what to do about solace um and uh you basically depending on whether the inquisition is still around or not they'll be wearing certain clothes or not right was um, josie in the scene with you yes josie was in the scene was dorian in yeah. your scene I'm yeah dorian was yeah there. okay yeah. yeah um the inquisitor either vows to stop solace by any means possible or 
if you know we want to kind of help him we say save solace from himself if possible which is i like that um Mm -hmm. and they're like well solace knows us inside and out what do we do and the inquisitor's like well we got to go find some people he doesn't know and then bam dagger right into the middle of the map right over to vinter imperium cut to credits so that's where we are ken we are up to date fully on dragon age that's where we are that's dragon age as it stands today um i mean we've known since five years yeah was wait was trespasser was yeah trespasser was 2015 so yeah for five years we have known that we are taking our booties to the to the to venter aperium we have a whole dlc really setting up soulless this Mm. this rivalry and i'm just gonna Mm. so playing this again ken not to Mm. jump ahead to the game awards right away um because i i I feel like well first overall let me say i like trespasser a lot i thought trespasser very good i think Mm. my main issue with it is that it's not as dense as citadel is like in its interactions with various characters um citadel is like it's a really big piece of dlc like it's basically an entire campaign and then like an additional whole thing on top of that um so it it was hard for it to match up to that i think but just in terms of dragon age i mean within dragon age is the best dlc period yeah for Um, sure for sure and i think it's it's pretty up there in contention for bioware's stuff along with lair of the shadow broker and and uh citadel but um yeah do we want to just talk about what this is leading into and and thoughts on that and all that do you have anything you want to say about trespasser specifically before we get into that uh, i think yeah, i think we we touched on it it's like it's my favorite dragon age thing like mm-hmm. standalone yeah so ken i i was kind of i was kind of with you and and kind of not with you throughout various points in the season about feeling away about the inquisitor and i wanted to go into trespasser with an open mind and go into what was the reveal at this last week's game awards uh the the new trailer for i mean it's we're still just calling it dragon age because they haven't put a subtitle on it or anything um i really hope it's not just called dragon age because that's going to be super confusing but it's um i feel like this at, at multiple points in this dlc it feels like they're both indicating that the inquisitor is going to be leading this charge into the mm-hmm. Tevinter imperium against solus that there's a very deep tie a rivalry between the two that there's deep connections but then also that it feels like there's multiple times where they're like but maybe it won't be the inquisitor because they mm-hmm. make comments like well my like there's literally a part where the inquisitor says well my fighting days or my my combat days may be yeah. over, but so, I can still fight him and stuff like that. So an interesting thing is that is what the Inquisitor will say on the decision you made on the one I did when he drops the book. He's like, if you'll excuse me, I have a world to save again. So like mm-hmm. no consistency in like, it's, it's a weird, the weird thing about trespasser, I think in retrospect is that like they set up like a bunch of different possibilities throughout that DLC. And then they, end up doing something completely different because like, they imply heavily that the Inquisitor is going to die in this DLC. Then mm-hmm. they don't. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they they imply that, like, Man, maybe... Can you imagine if that was what happened? That would have been pretty honestly, incredible, I think. Honestly, I might have preferred it. Just because, like, 
Like okay, like imagine basically I mean, the entire. Like, let's not mm. rule. Let's not rule anything out yet. They could easily still kill the Inquisitor at the oh, start they, of the next if, Dragon Age. If they do that, I will. I will return my copy. Like, pull, to my, pull a straight up Mass Effect two, except not bring the Inquisitor back. Like if if they do that, I will I will straight up hand my copy of Dragon Age back to the cashier that I bought it from and never play another Bioware game again. Um. <laughs> So, what if you it, kill the Inquisitor and then you have to play as Solus? <laughs> wow. Metal Gear uh, Solid 2 ahead of its time. I'm going to say that Sorry, last going, part 2 ahead of its time. <laughs> oh, God. Um, you, you can get back to your thought. I was just interrupting. and No, no. I mean, like, I was just going to say that, like... It, even while I was playing this, I tried to go into it with an open mind and feel like, okay, get a sense of what they were building to and what, you know, because that is the ultimate question I feel like we've had since Dragon Age 4 was confirmed was, is this going to be about the Inquisitor? Is this going to be starring the Inquisitor? Or is it going to be like all the other Dragon Ages where they just start over with a new protagonist? And I feel like up to this point, up to... Like, up and through Trespasser, every time they've had a new character, a new player character, it's felt in some way justified. Okay, so, like, a Grey Warden has X amount of lifespan and can also die in Origins. So we need to be able to work around that. And Hawk is, like, a very specific character to the point that, like, Dragon Age 2 wasn't going to be called Dragon Age 2 originally. It was going to be, like, first a DLC and then its own separate thing. There's a whole entry in the, the Bioware 25th anniversary book about it. Very interesting. You should go read it. Um, that all made sense to me. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Even Awakening, like, you could play Awakening even if your warden died in the main game and they just kind of give you a new warden to play as. And so going into Inquisition totally understand why they need a new character and they found interesting ways of tying those old characters back in having hawk come back have the warden reference the warden's even referenced in some of these epilogues like if leliana had romanced the warden it's referenced mm. in the epilogues and stuff uh, you know up to this point i felt like the threads were all intersecting well and so finally we get to this point it's like okay you look at what Bioware has done so well with Mass Effect, with, with Shepard specifically, this idea of evolving this character over time. And you look at other like RPG series, like I was thinking a lot about it because we were um, we were in a Discord voice call for the Game Awards, uh, myself and the other remaining members of US Gamer. And I remember my my editor in chief, Kat Bailey, said something on tune of like I wish Dragon Age would just pick like a thing and stick to it because mm -hmm. every yeah. single one of them has changed characters, has changed locations, has dramatically changed visual styles because of those reasons. And right. it feels like it's this thing that is constantly in motion. She was like, you look at the Witcher, you look at mass effect, you look at other RPG series and they have a very consistent recognizable style. It feels like Dragon Age doesn't have that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it has an identity crisis like mm. yeah at first i was like oh, i don't know okay you know I, I like the anthology you know that's what it's doing and then playing back through trespasser i just couldn't stop thinking about that how it was like here's all this work that we're doing to establish this incredible villain this really good character in the inquisitor i mean 
like really endearing us to this character giving us the chance for this character to live even though they were brought to the brink of death and could have been Mm -hmm. given this big tragic heroic death in trying to stop this plot from the canary and have one last adventure and they're saved they're brought back and the trailer for dragon age four or whatever at the game awards is like we need a new hero like it was it wasn't even just like it wasn't even just like they revealed that they were gonna have a new character. They like made that the like the talking point of the trailer, mm-hmm. and it, like yeah. I was like, yeah, you know what's gonna get me hyped up? The worst fucking thing about Dragon Age. That's exactly what you need to tell me, Bioware, is that you're gonna and, continue to do the thing that you just should have stopped doing a game ago. And the trailer was so incredibly thin. Otherwise, like it was very, it was basically concept art in motion for most yeah. of it. It it didn't really tell us anything about the story that we didn't already know. Like, hey, look, here's. Here's someone hanging out on the roofs in Tevinter while, while magic stuff happens. And here's someone shooting a bow that's got some wild fade energy going on. And here's Solus looking all angry in front of a Dreadwolf mural. Like, all of this is stuff that we've seen before. No yeah. release date, no subtitle, no, not even like full on details of party members. Like, the most detail we see of a character is Solus. And Mm -hmm. just his face, really. All the other characters are, like, hooded or obscured in some way. Like, I I want this game to be good. I really want this game to be good. Because I think that Dragon Age can can be so good. And playing Trespasser just reminded me of all the ways it was good coming out of that. And then just, I do, Ken, I'm on your team now, man. I'm just like... (laughs) what the hell are they doing with like they've please tell me there is some sort of master plan for this all to come together in in interesting way i can't i i don't want to be the person that has to do that but i i would hope they've got some idea like right and so like the i my i've been coming at this particular issue very hard as we do in this podcast, and like when it starts to leak out into the the rest of our lives, even like on Twitter mm-hmm. and things we've written about, that's when I start to see like the really weird ways in which the Dragon Age like fandom and like the way that people talk about these games can be so drastically different. Which might, in premise, sound like an interesting thing, but I think when you have a series that like people literally didn't know, or like like you had something as blatant as Trespasser out in the world. And people mm-hmm. didn't really know what the next game was going to be about. Like, there was, like, a, still, like, a question as to what conflict we were getting into. And I think that, that to me, spells, like, an overarching issue with your storytelling and the way that people, like, perceive these games more so than it does, mm-hmm. yeah. like, anything. Like, it, ultimately, my what I have come to realize in doing this, uh, this podcast series, Dragon Age has no fucking idea what it's about. And its fan base doesn't know what it's fucking about. Because, like, the arguments people have about, like, oh, you know, the Dragon Age is about the world and not the people, then why are the stories so directly tied to the people? Like, do you think the fact that, like, Solus was, like, a fucking rebel elf of interesting, like, if you put it on paper, like, the story is what makes it... What makes it interesting is, like, the character's motivation and the way that, like, mm-hmm. our relationship mm-hmm. to him as the Inquisitor, like, really fuels this very... Per- like, even, like, this worldwide conflict has a very personal stake. But then they lead with a fucking trailer that's, like... Oh no, we don't need that fucker to come back. We need some random fucking street rat from Tevinter. Um, and it's like I I know that's what Bioware like keeps saying is like th- these games are about the world and not the people. Then like why do you keep doing fucking uh 
save transfers. Why do you? Why did you make Dragon Age keep? Why do you not finish stories when you finish a game? Like, why do you insist on making it feel like there is an overarching story and that characters are meaningful to it when they're clearly fucking not to you? Like, ultimately, like that's what I'm thinking. Like, if if Dragon Age is about a world and not its people, Dragon Age has failed. Dragon like Bioware has failed at making the thing that they keep that they have said all these years that they've been doing. And because they are so, like, steadfast in that, and then they keep structuring these games around that idea, despite the fact that the stories they write don't support it, they they do so, so bad by all their characters in the process. And I just... I don't care anymore. Like, the fact... Like, especially if I was playing Trespassers for this, like, I... The thought of, like, somebody other than the Inquisitor... Fighting Solus, like, being the person to maybe possibly have to kill him, is fucking laughable to me. Like, the thought of, like, some random fucking dude that I, like, they picked off of, of the, the side of, like, a Taventer Street, being the one to fight Solus is fucking ludicrous. It's fucking... I don't, I don't know how anyone, like, looks at, like, the A to B of Trespass, or, like, even Inquisition, to that end of this conflict, and it's like, yeah, that's proper storytelling, yeah, that's coherent. It's not. It's like, and I don't know why there are people that are like so, like, so emboldened in defending what they do when they don't do right by anyone, anything. Yeah, it's like my my takeaway from Trespasser has really just been like, we've spent so much time building this specific character up, like, and and one that has like like you said direct ties. One's you know this is not like. Again, this is not Hawk, this who, you know, is really kind of very specific to Kirkwall. This is not the Great Warden who not only has many as, you know, it's been put quantum states, but like just kind of, you know, served their purpose and is now out of the way. But like mm-hmm. this Inquisitor, it feels like there is a lot of time put into the characterization of this character in particular. Mm-hmm. And I, I think all the time about how like maybe it's just because of cyberpunk being out i've been thinking a lot about cd project red but like um you know witcher 3 wild hunt the way that it ultimately through dlc and stuff ends up sending Geralt off into the sunset and giving him his last adventure and all that or or even series like yakuza that do the same thing where they eventually sunset this character you know maybe they're going to appear again in future games but they're ready to like hand the torch over yeah it needs to be done with some level of gravitas and and like respect to what the character is and to have to have it happen this way or or even just to turn them into like oh hey this is now a quest giver or some sort of like advisor role to you like again you brought up the idea of like who cares about this random character that's that's kind of how i feel at this point because this will be like potentially if what they're saying in the trailer is what they're actually going to do and they're going to have you create a new hero to fight solace and all that um this will be the fourth dragon age character we've created as compared to the two we've made in mass effect mm-hmm. and i th- it, you know it could be potentially five even considering awakening and mm-hmm. th- and that just again like the world the world is Dragon Age. Like, that's the thing you're kind of porting forward all the time. But I think what it ultimately does is it makes the world choices matter 
but it makes me care less and less about the choices that I make as the player character because I know that this player character is just disposable it's it's the yoshi that you dump into the pit to to get across the gap like it's and that that cheapens my feelings with the series because i think when the player character feels that disposable this is also like the conduit through which you are developing connections to other Mm -hmm. characters Mm -hmm. and so then i just end up like i was almost feeling this with dragon i was trying to suss out why I just didn't care about romance and Dragon Age Inquisition for the longest time. And I think it was the feeling of that, like, it doesn't really matter who I romance because it's not yeah. like it's going to come up in a meaningful way in a future game because yeah. it never does outside of a dialogue window. So, like, the most right. meaningful romance in Dragon Age, like, from a like significant change in the story point is still whether the warden romances Morgan, in my opinion. Like, yeah. everything else just kind of affects an epilogue screen somewhere. And right. that's such a drastic difference from Mass Effect or something where, like, relationships can stretch across games and have changes yeah. and stuff like that um yeah and that's like one of my greatest frustrations is this game. It's like if it's going to the venture i'm like i'm imagining a universe where like the game that should have been uh where my inquisitor and dorian are both into venture like trying to fucking fix things together like these mm-hmm. like and now what like i don't like we don't know what uh the inquisitor's role if any is going to be in this game so, like what is we're gonna pass by Dorian occasionally yeah. as he's doing Tventer shit, and yeah. and like, and that was like another thing. It's like they so deliberately like made a moment of Dorian be like, "I'm going to Tventer to go fix things," and mm-hmm. that's like, it like we'll be in Tventer, so like we'll be adjacent to it. But like that feels like if you kind of like sideline the character who has the tie to that character, then mm-hmm. are we gonna see it? Are we gonna see it in a meaningful way? Because Dorian doesn't have that attachment to my random player character made for Dragon Age yeah. 4. Dorian has that attachment to the Inquisitor, and they've spent a lot of time, like like we talked about in the episode, enforcing how much attachment there is between the Inquisitor yeah. and Dorian if you choose to spend mm-hmm. time with him. And, like, that's just laying groundwork that I... Yeah. Maybe, like... <laughs> In, in my foolish, naive pipe dreams, maybe the phrasing isn't fully implicating what they're going to do, or maybe it's just a bait-and-switch or something, but, like, we've also just... This is the, like, umpteenth tease we've gotten of this game that has still not really told us a lot of what is going to be happen- happening outside of us going to Deventer and trying to stop the Dreadwolf, and that's literally about it and i know that this game is still probably a ways off mm-hmm. um you know i i want to say there was like a financial call quote from a little while ago that was like put it somewhere in the realm of like late 2021 2022 area mm-hmm. um and and that's that's what i would i would be surprised if we see this game next year but um that's that's me speculating calm down mm. everyone listening <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, and on that note um, like, I, like if, if they don't show like something substantial like next year like should i get off the pot like i'm yeah like not to say that i have, they have so much there's so much they're working on now too I yeah mean, and and i mean like i'm not saying when i say like i want to see more of this game it's more like i need confirmation as to whether or not i need to give a shit because i frankly don't think i should like i don't like you so deliberately led me on a like the path to believe that the story that I experienced in Inquisition and Trespasser was going to be the sole focus of this, but you've, in one trailer, confirmed that's not going to be the case. That you're going to give me some bastardized version of it that involves some fucking rando that you think I should give a shit about. 
when the character who is like should rightfully be the protagonist is going to be fucking doing something else. The the only the only cool thing I could see happening here is if they pull like a Metal Gear Solid Five. All right, so, spoilers, everyone, for those who have not finished Metal Gear Solid Five. Can't do you care if I spoil Metal Gear Solid Five? Not even a little bit. What if what if they pull a pseudo Metal Gear Solid Five, and you make a character and get them all dressed up and stuff, and you're playing the intro level, and then this character just gets murdered by Solus, and your Inquisitor <laughs> steps in, and then the Inquisitor takes over, and that's like surprise, you're actually playing as the Inquisitor in this game. Well, I don't have that would any be, faith that Bioware's going to pull off something that That would be so. godlike, though. <laughs> That'd be so good. Yeah, I mean... I'm, and I know there's going to be like people that are like, oh, the Inquisitor lost their arm. Fuck you, they had a crossbow arm in the epilogue. And also, like, Dragon Age is not, like, so primitive that prosthetics aren't a thing. Especially, like, something they can use, like, you know, you know like, whatever you, you consider, like, Dragon Age technology to be. Like, they, there are things that they can do to, like, not only give them something they can fight with, but also, like, put that into, like, mechanics and, like, you know, like, a very, like, specific fighting style because your, mm. your character's using, like, a prosthetic that may be... That'd be interesting. Is, That'd be yeah, cool. like... You know, you just gotta think a little bit fucking harder about it. Like, you don't have to, like, Again, oh, no arm, no arm can't five. fight. Like, I... Mm. Metal Gear Solid Five did it too. You lose an arm and you get a bionic arm and it's totally sick. Give the Inquisitor a bionic arm. It'd be, it'd be dope. I'd be yeah, down for just, that. And I think we're kind of, like, we're kind of wrapping up here just because, like, I... Well, it we breaks do have my one heart more because, thing to talk about. Yeah, we do have one more thing. <laughs> like, we're wrapping up Dragon Age. Like, Dragon Age yeah, for Normandy yeah. FM. Um, and I think, like, it, it breaks my heart because, like, I, in the moment, I cared about all three of these characters, the Warden, Hawk, and the Inquisitor, to varying mm-hmm. degrees over the years. Like, I started to cool on them in certain ways, or, like, just have a different relationship with them. But, like, my attachment to the Inquisitor, like, as I just fucking said, like, I, I care a lot about that character, and they are, they have become Dragon Age to me. Him and Dorian mm-hmm. are, like... Yeah. The things that, like, they are as synonymous with the series as Shepard and Caden are to meet with Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. And, but at least Shepard got to finish his story. Shepard got to, Mm -hmm. like, I I did not leave Mass Effect 3, like, just whatever your feelings are on the end of Mass Effect 3, Shepard's story was done. Shepard got to be the star of his own story for three games. I didn't need the- Shepard got to finish the fight. Yeah. And gave the Reapers their bomb back. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't even need the Inquisitor to be around for three games. I could have, but it wouldn't really fucking nice to have for him to have been main character for two, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, it would have been the, it would have been a more simple way to go about whatever story whatever story they've got going on whatever like contrived bullshit they have in mind is nowhere near as like affecting and simple and coherent and cohesive and consistent as the idea of the Inquisitor and Solus fucking going for it in one more game. Mm-hmm. And I I do feel like a little bit of resentment towards Bioware for like so directly implying that that was going to be the case. And just not doing right by any of like the stories that they think they're telling. And so this is this is the point where like when we finished Mass Effect we kind of were like what's your feeling on the story or like the, the, the series this after we've done all of this. Um I think it has like, I don't think it can recover my previous love for it. Because I am just... 
playing through them all in rapid succession made me realize patterns in the way that these, mm-hmm. these games tell stories that mm-hmm. Bioware seems to think they're accomplishing one thing when they are absolutely not. Um, so like I, I think I'm probably still going to play Dragon Age 4, but I think after I see that closure on the solo story in whatever form it takes and I'm like informed about it and can know, I think I'm done. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to be strung along again for another fucking game with mm-hmm. characters that I do care about getting sidelined and characters that I don't getting like it's like sprouting up from the ground in conflicts they have nothing to do with. And Bioware like seems to think that is like in the spirit of the series, the fandom seems to like really latch onto that too now and like come up with like those really weird justifications for it. So I think it's the easiest thing for me to do is just wash my hands of it. Like I wanna know what happens to Dorian, mm-hmm. I wanna know what happens to the Inquisitor in whatever form it is. And I want to know what happens to Solus. I want to see if Solus accomplishes what he wanted to do or maybe realizes that he doesn't have to. But um, you will not get me a fifth time, Bioware. <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Like, I think my feeling overall on Dragon Age 4 is that if it comes out and it you are just a new make-a-character you have a new band, new party, and a bunch of the old characters are just kind of, you know, what happened with previous game characters in Inquisition, which is they're kind of sidelined in various ways or put in advisory roles or put in quest giver roles, that sort of thing. And you just kind of keep going that way through Dragon Age. I don't know if it has anything that creates an identity for itself then because right. it's it's going to start to just feel like an assassin's creed or it's going to start to feel yeah, like I mean, any other like fantasy i mean you have this experience now that you've played through valhalla but like yeah and that's I mean, what mm. it starts to feel like because yeah. those games are just kind of loosely tied together with an overarching plot and then you play different characters all the time they're kind of doing their own thing and you're like that can be cool i think assassin's creed has done cool things with that but I don't know if I like Dragon Age moving into that same space, and I don't yeah. know if it can stand up in that same space. Yeah, and I, and I think especially when you um, have games that take as long to come out as Dragon Age Four has, like that, if like yeah, you you left people on a cliffhanger five years ago that you're that you have basically said in like the latest teaser trailer that you're not going to follow through on at least like like you're half-assing it instead of full-assing it. Um, but uh, you bring up Assassin's Creed, and like I I did just play Valhalla, and I don't know if you know how that game ends. But I got the, no, like no, the yeah. exact same feeling when I got to the end of that game, and it did. Like mm. the, it's it's lining up very remarkably similarly to the way Inquisition did, not Trespasser, but Inquisition, um, where they set up this character as one thing and then they literally fridge them for another. And um, I think that that type of storytelling is most predominant in video games. Like I've noticed over the years, mm-hmm. just because like they they more so than like any other medium, they always want something to be like an entry point. So like when they like kill off or fridge or or like sideline a character, they want to bring in something that can be more easily uh, digested by a newcomer. Um, right, right. And I think that that is something that plays into a lot of the ways that Dragon Age like switches protagonists because like they want to be like, oh, you don't need to play the old ones, but then the people that did play the old ones are like, oh, so I guess I'm not going to get any closure. Like that you're like you're not actually leading towards anything, and you're just stringing me along for five fucking years to come up with like something that's vaguely tied to what i want and what you implied and or not, not even implied but like you like basically directly said i was going to get um mm-hmm. yeah it's like it is a type of storytelling that, in, that is very prevalent in video games and 
I feel like not enough theories get called out on because there's like this weird um there's this weird like mindset that comes up up a lot in a lot of uh, discussions and like criticism around video game storytelling. It was like, oh, if I, I shouldn't have to uh, invest the time into three other games to play one. I was like, I mean, sure, like in like from like a money standpoint, that does not sound great. But like from a storytelling standpoint, if you're just constantly like writing off shit, so so like it can be an entry point for new people. I think that like that's a very reductive and damaging way to think of storytelling. If like if you think of it as like this obstacle of like new people coming in because i mean and maybe there's, there's like a there's like a larger conversation about capitalism in there but it's like the story the game stories that i i gravitate towards most like they're my favorite things are like the mass effect trilogy danganronpa the last of us these things that have like this very insular understanding of themselves that a lot of games don't get the opportunity to have um mm-hmm. which dragon age doesn't, doesn't fucking have and it's a lot of it is because bioware one thinks they're making an anthology when they don't they clearly don't want to fucking write those and two um, they or they they want things to be able to be an entry point. Um, and so you just get this weird bastardized version of the story every time. It it just I when I think of series like Assassin's Creed, they're able to move forward like that because they can kind of create these serialized stories that can exist mm-hmm. on their own, and then you just loosely tie them together at the meta layer. And and I think when you look at assassin's creed like that becomes a meme sort of you know like i'm one of the outliers and that i like or or at least i enjoy seeing what they do with the meta layer because Mm -hmm. that does interest me i'm like okay how are you keeping all these stories set together because valhalla has good individual stories in those arcs and in those different quests Mm -hmm. but how is that being tied together and when you look at what a bioware game does their goals are usually to create these large sweeping narratives where choice matters and Mm -hmm. the things you do matter and assassin's creed has some choices but they don't really play out on a meta level it doesn't you know they don't fool with that because that's the that's the train that keeps it going all right that's that's the engine at the front and all the cars in the back can jumble around and switch order and stuff like that but the engine in the front has got to keep going on the same track it can't divert because the second it does now you've got two trains and two trains is hard to manage you start managing three four five twenty trains it gets really hard to manage so um i don't know if dragon age succeeds under that formula i don't know if it does well under that formula it doesn't like you look at it doesn't at all you look at like what made mass effect so popular like the the reason why so many people are so thrilled about the legendary edition and like we talk about it like this is a bioware specific podcast like we are obviously the target market for something like that but just the idea that people could get excited about a remaster of games that came out a decade ago because they do this thing that is so rare and because it's a highlight of a time when bioware managed to do this thing that not many other people have managed to do in video games ever like it's yeah it hasn't been replicated in that way like it like the closest is telltale like telltale has tried to do that stuff but it's also like not on the scale that bioware operates Mm -hmm. at where it's these very large uh, significant games with big ties like usually in telltale it's like a, a couple choices carry over life is strange like one major choice carries over but mm. um in mass effect it's like all these choices carrying over mm. across games and dragon age is right. trying to do the same but i don't think if it goes 
into this sort of right. you know generic fantasy rpg realm it's it's going to have to start competing like it already is competing with witcher with cyberpunk with baldur's gate with assassin's creed even like i consider assassin's creed like a mild form of competition to what bioware does because assassin's creed is already kind of an rpg right now it's basically an action rpg and like it's i don't know if it holds up and and now like i guess is this is a good time to pivot (laughs) into like there's a new mass effect coming and we saw a reveal of it on on the game awards and and Mm. we've got to think about I mean, interestingly enough, it, it's, it seems like they're moving that forward by involving both galaxies. And yep. to me, that's exciting because I'm like, okay, mm. we're not throwing Andromeda in the dumpster. You and I have kind of privately discussed all the different ways that this could be taken because in, in, right. it's a very short reveal trailer that we got, but it starts with a shot of two galaxies, which I th- replies from Mike Gamble, who's the director on the project, has kind of implied that it's that means that like that was intentional he meant to show right. two galaxies there milky way and andromeda you know mm. assumedly but we we zoom in and we see a destroyed mass relay and we zoom down to a planet and a ship lands and there's a figure climbing up uh, a reaper a, a, a deactivated reaper and there it, there looks to be another one in the background although that it could be an active reaper as well who knows um yeah and they dig in the snow and they pull up an n7 logo and they look up to the camera and it's liara and there's three figures off in the distance next to a ship and she kind of mm. turns to head towards the ship and that's the end of the teaser but um there's so many things there that you could be pulling from and theorizing you know liara can live for a long time so it could be way in mm. the future and seven logo doesn't necessarily imply shepherd it could be like i've seen some right. people imply it that could have been rider i've seen some people that could have been like like alec rider um i've I've seen some people imply that could have just been like i think the the theory that you and i were talking about at one point was that it could be liara searching for shepherd but that doesn't necessarily mean shepherd's still alive um it and it could just be a red herring at the the end of the day but um mm. just the i just to say like the idea that andromeda and milky way could still be tied together in some way gives me hope that they are going to try and do something interesting with mass effect that isn't just spiking the andromeda galaxy so right i am i'm of a few minds like when we first like when it first happened i was fucking livid because like (laughs) so like i was screaming on discord in excitement and then after that like it got real quiet and i was like oh man ken's gonna be pissed (laughs) (laughs) so and the reason the reason being was the implication appeared to me twofold one it appeared like at the at a glance they were going to leave andromeda behind and yeah, that yeah. they were going to be canonizing the destroy ending mm-hmm. um the, literally like the two fucking no-nos i gave bioware like the two things i asked you not to do um <laughs> so i ultimately uh, the, the, the take that i ended up publishing on uh, on fanbyte was I don't think we can really glean anything of substance from this because right, right. ultimately, like, we can't tell if that Reaper in the background is alive or dead. Uh, mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't, like, if the implication is that both Andromeda and the Milky Way are involved, that implies that this has to take place at least 600 years in the future. So regardless of whether, what ending you picked, Shepard is dead. Shepard is mm-hmm. old age or crucible. Like, they are gone one way or another. Um, right, right. 
So, my ultimate feeling is, it is literally impossible for me to feel actual tangible excitement. Because I don't know if it's going to end up canonizing the ending, which I think is, like, the cardinal sin that Bioware could be pulling off right now. Because I think, in the grand scheme, like, yes, it, it has become, it's almost been a decade since the trilogy, but... Throughout the entire time that trilogy was going on, that was, like, a fundamental pillar of that series, was that both in the games and also, like, the external media, and the literal way that Andromeda ties into the Milky Way, um, everything, every step, every precaution was taken to preserve players' canon. And I don't buy the idea that people, that people are like, oh, it's been so long, it doesn't matter. It fucking matters. Like, it might not matter no, as a casual... It, it does. It does. Like, it, it doesn't, it might not matter to, like, the casual fan that maybe hasn't really thought about the games in, like, almost a decade, or maybe looked at Andromeda, but then when they got the reception, they were like, oh, never mind, I'm good. Um, and so I think, like, I, I feel like my, my feeling has always been that Bioware is clearly very in tune to that, because, like I said, like, the comics and the books and the movies, they exist in the spaces of those games in ways that they never have to step on the toes of what a player has done. Um... Mm-hmm. And then, then there are people that are like, oh, they had to do... They did not have to fucking do shit. Like, don't fucking tell me that Bioware had to make a decision to continue the series, because they fucking didn't. They could have just not done anything. Um, but there's also the part of it that's like, a lot of the trailers that Bioware has typically put out for Mass Effect games do kind of assume, like... They don't necessarily assume a canon, per se, but they, they do present just, like, a very specific version of the world that can that is very malleable. Like, um... Like, for example, the equivalent, or not necessarily the equivalent, like, the cinematic trailer for Mass Effect 3 before it came out had Ashley Williams in it. Who does not have to be in the game? Like, mm-hmm. the choices that the player made will determine whether she's there or not. And like, that, ulti- that trailer has ultimately no bearing on the game that came out that was Mass Effect 3. Um, so I don't think that this is... I'm not, I'm not certain that they are canonizing something, but like, they, their implications, they might. And I, don't, I hope they don't do that, because, like, even... They don't have to write a... Like, I, I think the the implication that they have to pick something... It, like, if you think about it for more than, like, two minutes, it, it is very much possible, like, to write a story in that universe that is not necessarily um, affected by what happened at the end of Mass Effect 3, regardless of the world state. Like, the I was trying to describe it to my brother, and I was like, if I have a full 24 hours where I do something in my house, and, like, I don't walk outside, it doesn't matter if there's a reaper in my backyard. That is a very, like... Mm-hmm. reductive and small way of saying it, but, like, basically, like, if if the Reapers are still present, but the story does not involve them directly, they can be as simple as cameos. They can be as simple as, like, backdrops, um, and, like, alter dialogue. So, miss me with any bullshit that Bioware had to make a decision, but they don't. Um, I mean, even, even if you go to, like, say we jump ahead 600 years or whatever, then you can start toying with the idea of oh yeah well we destroyed the reapers but all their parts were floating around out there so we started building our own versions that can kind of help us out and be our new technology or if it's control obviously the reapers are being controlled and if it's synthesis you know like oh well we all decided that being more in tune with the synthetics was a good idea and so we decided to like kind of start to integrate and and vice versa like you can kind of write your way around if you give yourself that lead time of the 600 years between Mass Effect 3 and the start of Andromeda. Yeah, like, ultimately, like, that, that, that is ultimately, like, my feelings. Like, there are ways that they can do this without hurting anybody's feelings. And I just, like, I'm hoping that, despite the fact that time has passed, that very, like, core pillar of the franchise 
still it means something to Bioware, and they're still willing to you know treat the treat it with that respect because like they're even like even small things they're doing right now with the legendary edition where like I wrote about this like the art just has Shepard's helmet like it does not show who Shepard mm-hmm. is underneath the helmet mm-hmm. like very much an awareness of like everyone has a very particular vision of what the Mass Effect universe looks like based on the decision mm-hmm. they made mm-hmm. um and that's worth preserving and I think like any like excuses that anyone could possibly give I don't think hold up so I Absolutely. I don't feel. Yeah, I, I don't feel excitement for this. I feel nothing but caution right now, just because there is that lingering fear that they might do it. Um, so ultimately, like right now, I'm gonna I'm viewing it at arm's length, and I will well, feel one way or another when we finally get an actual like proper reveal. Let me let me put it this way: the way I feel about Dragon Age is like a concave funnel where I feel like I'm barreling towards an eventuality that I'm not going to be happy with. Does not mm-hmm. inspire a lot of confidence for me in the future of that series the way i feel about mass effect is is a convex that's right, right. convex convex funnel yeah where we were kind of in this pigeonhole where it felt like was there going to be more mass effect andromeda like what are we going to do with that can we ever return to the milky way what do you do with mass effect after the way that andromeda was received and just seeing them just step right out and you know like obviously like you said we, we don't know anything for sure uh, Mike Gamble was out there kind of saying that there's a lot of teasers and stuff hidden mm-hmm. in the trailer uh, I imagine this game is still ways off oh, but yeah. um, the idea that they're consi- even just considering like hey we haven't forgotten about Andromeda hey we're you know we have this character like picking liara was not just because liara is like one of the arguably most recognizable characters from mass effect and and like biggest fan favorite character but also like this is a character who could feasibly be alive for a very long period of time so you are not really like nailing yourself down in any way right Um, and she's also like to point out like and something that implies to me maybe they're not gonna canonize is that liara is just based into the systems of how the Mass Effect trilogy works, she cannot die unless you get a bad ending. Right. Like she, exactly. like she is a reliable constant in a way that, like, if it had been like fucking Miranda or like somebody, you know, somebody that was in an F, they called it like a quantum. I mean, even state. if it had been Garrus, even if it had been Garrus, Garrus can die. Tally yeah. can die. Like yeah. Rex like, can die. Right. So Liara, on like a couple fronts, feels like a very calculated choice. Um, mm-hmm. That gives me like a, a, a little glimmer of like hope that they understand what they're doing. Like they understand the gravity of what they're doing. And they're not just like looking for like the most easy way to cash in on the name. I and and you should head over to Twitter if if y'all got some time right now and, and just look at Mike Gamble's Twitter feed because he was retweeting a lot of the people that are going to be working on this mm-hmm. new Mass Effect and it's a lot of the team from the trilogy. It's a lot of people yeah. who instill some confidence in me because I think for a while there was a lot of worries like a lot of the old mass effect heads have kind of gone on to do their own stuff you know this archetype down here in austin and stuff like that where they're kind of doing their own thing at this point and there was i think there's been a worry in bioware fandom myself included that like the bioware of old is gone and Mm -hmm. to some extent that is accurate i think but at least in terms of the mass effect team that they're putting together and what they're showing right now like it it inspires inspires a hope in me that the series ain't done yet 
that the series can still hit some highs and do some interesting things and achieve what it's been good at and what it what it was good at when that original trilogy was running and that's the opposite of dragon age for me and like yeah maybe it is because dragon age is like barreling down one direction that i'm so optimistic about mass effect but i don't know man i'm i'm just giddy at the thought that mass effect is not going to die because of one bad game and it's not going to disappear because of fan outrage and it's going to live on and that can still kind of inspire those Mm -hmm. emotions in me like yeah I'm not going to lie to you, man. Mm-hmm. When the Legendary Edition comes out, I'm doing another playthrough like right away. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, yeah. like, that's the thing is we've, I feel like you and I on this journey through, through BioWareDom <laughs> is that um, on one hand, I feel like I'm exhausted by Dragon Age. Like I've just had my fill of Dragon Age for the foreseeable future. And even the thought of playing Dragon Age 4, I'm like, please be at least a year away i need like a break from the shit but with mass effect like we played that a year ago and i'm totally down for another run like let's go let's do this it's like yeah yeah and uh, that i mean yeah like mass effect's my favorite franchise but like that that series feels like home to me in a way that nothing else does and Mm, yeah even like as much as like i have these internal like conflicting feelings about this next mass effect like seeing liara was like a moment like i was like yeah yeah holy shit like I was yelling. I was screaming. I miss her. Not, like you, <laughs> I was surprised I didn't get like wellness checks that night from like my neighbors because I was <laughs> literally yelling at the top of my lungs, let's go in a way that I've done maybe like three times in my life. And that was one of them. So, <laughs> um, like ken remember when we were at ken and i have have had a very long experience working together and hanging around each other in the media space you remember the playstation experience where Mm -hmm. the last of us part two got revealed and Mm -hmm. like i think you almost broke my arm and were like just completely (laughs) emotional that was me seeing liara man that was me except my version was just yelling really loud and scaring my cat so (laughs) um like mm. i i still feel it i still like i've got those feelings for the series and yeah. i i hate that we're leaving dragon age on this kind of note because i think dragon age had some highs um it, yeah. it's done some things that i definitely like and appreciate it's got some great characters in it it's got some great story beats in it i think i'm walking away from it the highest on dragon age 2 just because mm of the way that trespasser has ended leading into dragon age four is now retroactively souring me on it. But, um, it's, it's still a series that I think is like very interesting and good, but I I still like, like you said, mass effect is, is like home. It's, it's like, it's the closest that I can feel to coming home in dragon or in in video games. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, what I am ultimately like, like I, I mean everything I said earlier that like I feel like as a whole I've soured on this franchise just because like I realize it doesn't do what I need it to do, but I do feel like there's part of me that I think uh, that does jive with like the quote unquote anthology like the, the anthology Bioware thinks but is failing to make. I do feel like I've, mm-hmm. I've taken little pieces of this world that I could take with me even if like the whole sick experience of it I've soured on it like there's still like moments that I'm always gonna like cherish and um. Yeah, I 
I, at least I feel like I'm no longer conflicted on Dragon Age. I feel like I know firmly where I stand and where I'm going, like my mindset going into what Dragon Age 4 is. And I think I'm at peace with the idea that it might be the last time I step up in that universe. And that in and of itself is like a realization equivalent to like us finishing Mass Effect and realizing just how, despite like all my, uh, the, all like the, the many criticisms we laid against, like having that newfound appreciation for Mass Effect after we finished Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Always oh. gonna love Dorian Pavisu. That that man yep. is gonna be Dorian's, sticking with me forever. Dorian's perfect. Put Dorian in Mass Effect. Let's just do yeah. it. Let's do it. <laughs> He's like, oh, Tavender's um, fucked. I need to go find some some new place, and he like finds a way to open up like a dimensional rift, like the Siri from The Witcher. There's one place we can go to stop Solus. Space. Dorian Pavis invents the mass relay. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy! Ugh. And accidentally invents the reapers. Whoops! <laughs> Whoops! Look, you got to break some eggs. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> um, uh. That's that's gonna do it for for Dragon Age. Um, yeah. As always, we are Normandy FM. We are uh, Bioware ret- Bioware for right now. Retrospective podcast. Yeah, we're a video game retrospective podcast. Yeah, we're gonna we'll start calling ourselves. A- if you if you're maybe wondering why we're saying that, you know, stay tuned next year. You know, maybe keep an eye on this spot. Uh, we are a video game retrospective podcast. As always, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash normdfm, where lots of lovely people support us. As a reminder, that will be frozen in January, but for right now, you can go and contribute. And our lovely list of patrons, we love to shout out the ones who back at a certain tier. This week, that list is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, Just Colin, Jest, Zach Mickle, The Wedge of Destiny, and Will Bang, okay? uh thank you all so much for contributing um thank you all so much for getting us here like honestly this has been so much fun two years down we've got one more episode in the year that'll be next week we'll be doing our q a again if you want to get those questions in send them over to normandyfm at gmail.com or send them to our twitter our our direct messages whatever uh get those in by december 21st those are for patrons or non-patrons whoever you are if you want to send some questions and get them in but for now for ken for myself we'll see you next week for a little special qa and uh and a build up to what's to come in the new year till then see ya bye We have watched and waited. <laughs>